Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Riley Smith on a breakaway, shoots and scores. Five hole on Bennington and it's 2-0 Vegas. Not the start we wanted, obviously. I think everyone knows that. And we had to find a way to get some rhythm, start to feel good a little bit with O'Reilly's goal there. And I think that kind of jump-started us, got us going. Chucking it down low to O'Reilly. He scores! There it is. They broke through. And O'Reilly gets it under the pad of on Rebound, he scores! The game is tied. Tyler Bozak found the rebound on the doorstep. He's got a breakaway. Falk in the clear. Shoots, he scores! The Blues lead. It's 3-2. And I hope you weren't linked to the building tonight, folks. Bring out the Zamboni. St. Louis Blues win five to two over the Vegas Golden Knights. And the game that's on drop to Cobb, six minutes, 50 seconds in. They get the next five. That's what it sounded like last night right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN as they get back on track with a 5-2 victory against the Vegas Golden Knights with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. Moment of truth for you, Tanner. When the Blues went down 2-0 in that one last night, how were you feeling? Uh, well, I sent the text in the group chat that had a guy waving a white flag. I said, it's over. After the 36, well, 36 seconds Vegas scored, I went, oh, boy, we just talked about how they can't come back. They don't play well when they're playing behind. Then they gave up the second. I was like, man, this is over. I can turn this off. I didn't feel good at all. I, I didn't feel good one bit about it. And when they get down to nothing, you're thinking to yourself, oh, boy, here's more adversity. How are they going to respond this time around? That was one of the biggest differences last night to me about that game compared to what we had seen previously from the Blues in this rough stretch of hockey that we had been watching. They responded to adversity in a big, big way, whether it be in season, in game, whatever it is over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, the Blues have struggled in moments of adversity. And last night you score three goals in like two minutes. You never look back from that. I thought the Ryan O'Reilly goal was the thing that changed that game. Once he scored, you knew that, okay, this team's going to get right back into this thing. You had an opportunity to be able to get into it. And then boom, Tyler Bozak. And then boom, Justin Falk on the breakaway. 100th goal. Congratulations to him. That was the biggest change to me was their ability to respond. And I don't think it is insignificant who did it. Ryan O'Reilly being the guy on an assist from David Perron, by the way, to score after not scoring in what was it? The entire month of November. Now, I think it's like yeah. eight straight games that he hadn't scored in. It was one of the longest slumps of his career here in St. Louis. 
for him to be the one that responded in that way after going down to nothing early. I think that was critical for this team without having that guy be able to respond in the last eight games or so. The Blues just didn't look like the same team. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, that was the turning point for me. And, and it's kind of what we talked about yesterday was what what kind of is the reason the Blues have been struggling? Well, they weren't getting what they should have from their top guys. Perron hadn't been scoring. O'Reilly hadn't been scoring. Just the top paid guys hadn't been performing. They'd been getting points, but they weren't giving you the goals that you'd been expecting. And the Blues did that last night. And to me, that feels like a game that could, I'm not saying they're going on a 17 game winning streak or something like, like like the Cardinals did but I'm going to say that this is the game to me that's going to turn this kind of this talk of ah, they're really struggling. Again. Yeah, <laughs> you know sports Second radio time every, every game is the most important game of the season in sports talk radio so I'm going to say that the Blues after that performance last night getting O'Reilly going I think this is where that top line of O'Reilly Perron I think those guys are going to start scoring goals now out of this slump and I think we're going to see that turn back towards a little bit towards what we saw at the beginning of the year where we're seeing more confident hockey out of this team as a whole defensively I thought the defense looked great last night I, I think this is kind of the Maybe the slight turning point of losing that bad mojo that they've had over the last couple of weeks. I think they're getting back on track now coming into the Thanksgiving holidays. The shots, when you look at it at the end of the game, Vegas ended up out shooting the Blues 34-31. That's a little misleading. The Blues were up by so much going into the third period, and Vegas just... They, they put it on them in that third period. It was 16 to five in favor of Vegas in the third. The rest of the game, though, the Blues were severely outplaying Vegas from about... Eight minutes into the first period until the very end of the second. So there was a solid 40 or so minutes of that hockey game that the Blues were just significantly better than Vegas. And that was the other thing for me. We talked about it. The second period was kind of the issue for the Blues. And that was maybe their best period last night. I thought they looked great in the second period. And that was the one that I had concerns with because I think Alex had mentioned it off air to us was that Vegas best period is the second. So when the Blues go into that second period up three to two, I'm thinking to myself, okay, how are they going to do in this second period? Vegas has time to go to the locker room, figure things out. How is Vegas going to respond? And Vegas didn't have an answer. The Blues came out and put it to them and got up to 5-2, I believe. So that was the big thing for me as well. That second period was huge for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, you had David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly and Colton Pareko playing at what was at or near the top of their performance last night. What I loved seeing from Pareko, by the way, did you see him get angry there for a minute? Yeah. On the faceoffs, I don't think I've seen that from Pareko. I, first time I've seen it in a minute. I'll tell you that much. He ended up playing a really good game. You have Ryan O'Reilly get out of his slump. He puts the puts one in the back of the net. David Perron didn't finish his uh, scoring drought, but he did have two assists in the game. And I thought it was maybe his best game of the season. David Perron overall, he was buzzing all night long. Those three guys. This is why I was not worried about the Blues. Because the biggest questions about them right now are something resembling those three. If your top line starts playing the way that it did last night with O'Reilly and Perron, if your top defensive pairing plays at a higher level with Pareko and whoever he's with on any given night, they ended up putting it back to Pareko and Scandella like midway through the first period last night. If those three players in particular get back to their games, the Blues are going to be fine. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to reach their peak, But that means they're going to be fine. And then it becomes a question of who is going to be that last defenseman that you're looking for. A top four defenseman that we've been looking for all year long. And last night, I thought Nico Mikolo was great. 
He finally got his start. It was the third game this year that he's been a part of. It was his first start since his return from COVID. And Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, was on the postgame show with Alex last night. And here's what he had to say about what he saw from Nico Mikola and why he wants to see more from him. You know what Nico Mikola can do in the American Hockey League. He's done there. Mm-hmm. It's it's now learn what you what he can do up here. I think before you try and figure out, do you have to fill that hole from outside the organization? I mean, unless there's like an absolute, do you have that player in Nico Mikola? Is he a young Joel Edmondson that can help you win games? He's aggressive. We saw that aggressiveness tonight. I like the way he hauled one guy after bumping into Jordan B- yeah. Bennington uh, out of the crease. But to do that, you've got to give him some time. It's It's his turn. The Blues this year, one of the biggest things that they have to find out is, do we have a top four defenseman internally? Can Scott Perunovic be that guy? Was Marco Scandella going to get back to form that we saw right after the trade? Could you get catch something in a bottle, uh, lightning in a bottle with uh, Jake Wallman? Can Steve Santini give you anything? Whoever these options are internally, and the answers were likely no on a lot of those players, Whoever that is, can somebody step up into that role? Because you're missing a guy right now. That's the one thing that you're really missing on this team, that it doesn't look like there's an obvious candidate to take over. I don't know if Mikula is that guy or not. The Blues clearly, so far this season, have not viewed him in that light. Otherwise, he would have gotten opportunities prior to yesterday. But he looked good yesterday. I liked what we saw out of Nico Mikula in limited opportunities a year ago. I thought he should have been one of the first guys to get a, sh- a shot. He's physical. He's big. He does make some mistakes, but at least he makes them with a physical presence about him on the ice. I think he earned more playing time moving forward. He is the guy that he's the next one in line for me that I want him to prove me wrong. I want to find out, is there anything there? And if a month from now we're having this conversation again and we're saying to ourselves, okay, it's still not an obvious candidate to be that number four defenseman for them. Then you go back to the market, and that's when maybe you have to make a trade. But for the here and now, you've got to exhaust all internal options. And the next one up for me is Nico Mikula. Yeah, I'm with you. I I, I liked Mikula's play last year. I thought he looked awesome last night, as you said. I, I want to see what he can do. I don't know if he'll be a top four defenseman, but it's worth giving him a shot. Same like it is with, with Scott Pernovich, because if you can solve that internally, rather than having to go on the trade market and give up some assets, and really your number your number one trade chip, is Vladimir Tarasenko since he wants out. If you can hold on to Vladdy because you can solve your top four defensemen internally, then I think the Blues are, I'm not going to say they're Stanley Cup bound, but they're certainly one of those top teams that can contend for it because that is clearly their num- their number one weakness and a little bit of the inconsistency with scoring, but I think that's going to get figured out. I think that's been kind of hampered with injuries and COVID, and I think that's going to get hampered out. If you can solve this internally, you don't have to move Vladimir Tarasenko. And this team is pretty much set for the postseason already and has a chance to go on a legitimate run. And by the way, it sounds like they should be close to having the return of Braden Shin. We'll find out more about that in a morning skate later on today. We'll talk about that with Jeremy Rutherford coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. It sounds like he's getting closer and closer to being back on the ice with the Blues. Fingers crossed that will happen sooner rather than later. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk with our guy Mike Petriello, MLB analyst for MLB.com and MLB Network. Excited to talk to him about the free agency market. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Speaking of that free agent market there were multiple pitchers yesterday that were taken off of the board did we get one the cardinals didn't land any of them oh what does this mean for the cardinals options in free agency where do they turn next we'll talk about that next year on 101 espn 
This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. What I'm looking for is a good number three starter in somebody else in a good organization. And I don't know who that guy is. I, I know some people think, well, maybe Marcus Stroman. You can ask four different people about Marcus Stroman, and you're going to get three different opinions. And, you know, uh, what kind of guy is he? Does he fit, you know, the whole nine yards? And, and I think one of the issues there, you have to make sure that whoever you sign is going to fit. But I'm looking for a number three starter on a good team. That was Mike Claiborne earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. If you missed anything from that interview, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. We'll talk to Mike Petriello coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, the MLB insider for MLB Network about the free agency market. Excuse me. That's what I wanted to talk about for just a minute here, Tanner, because I agree with Claves. If you're looking for a hey, what's the need for this Cardinals team, not what do you want, what do you need right now, it's innings. You look back at last year, the only guy who threw more than 100 innings for the Cardinals was Adam Wainwright. There was nobody else on the roster that did so. And so I look out on the open market, and I've heard people mention the name Alex Cobb, who apparently is in talks right now with the San Francisco Giants. It looks like they're at least progressing on a deal. He's an upside player. If you like what he did last year, I get it. 18 starts, a 3-7 ERA in front of the Angels defense. That's super impressive. But he only made 18 starts. He finished the year with fewer than 100 innings. In the last three years, he's given you right around 160 innings total. He has had 31 starts and 160 innings total for three years. That's what I want the guy to give me next year. So I don't know how I can count for Alex Cobb to do that. Corey Kluber, same thing. That's an upside play. Over the last three seasons, he's been right around 130 innings total for the last three years. I don't know that that's a guy that I can count on. So I look to the market right now, and the only guys that I view as in that mid-tier, clear-cut number three starters, 30 starts, 150-plus innings that I can count on next year are Steven Matz and John Gray. And this is because yesterday the San Francisco Giants re-signed two of their own with Anthony DeSclafani, three years, $36 million. Alex Wood is expected to get something around two years and 20 plus million dollars. I think that sets the market for what we're talking about with guys like Gray and Matt's. I think they get slightly more than that, two to three years and 13 to 15-ish million dollars. So you're looking at probably a three-year, 45-ish million dollar deal for one of those two players for me, that's the best case scenario at this point. If you can sign one of those two players, Mats or Gray, I think that's how you, the, the need that they're looking at right now from Claves, that's how you address it is with one of those two guys. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's going to be interesting to see how willing the Cardinals are going to be in terms of, will they push towards that $15 million for Mats? Because Mats reportedly has about eight teams interested in him. And we've heard that he's going to decide here shortly. So it's a bidding war. And we know historically the Cardinals don't really want to get into those. So I wonder if the Cardinals are going to be willing to kind of up the price just a little bit to try and lure in that guy that's going to give you that 160 innings that you're talking about, your 30 starts. I'm curious to see if they're going to be willing to do that with Steven Matz or if maybe they try to kind of slide away from this Matz market that's heating up and see if they can convince John Gray to go quickly here. To me, that might be the better play because we haven't heard a lot on John Gray. Matz's market, we've heard a lot of how it's hot. Eight teams, the Mets, you look at, you've got the Blue Jays still interested, the Giants are reportedly still in on that. 
Either way, I'm fine with either guy because I'm with you. I think you need that guy to come in and give you about 30 starts, 160, 170 innings. And it, to me, it needs to be a number three, number two star, as Klaib's mentioned in that cut, because I don't want to pay a guy like an Alex Cobb a one-year deal to come in and be a fifth starter. If I'm going to do that, I'm just going to go internally and promote a guy like Jake Woodford to that role. I'd be okay with that. That, and I think that's part of most comments on Monday or over the weekend towards Derek Gould of the post-dispatch of, yeah, the pitching market's not as deep as we think. Makes me think that they're only looking at the mid-tier or upper-tier guys. So Matt, Gray, those two guys seem to make a ton of sense for the Cardinals. Yeah, you just need certainty with this team. Because you look at what the rotation is right now, Wayno getting up there in age, Jack Flaherty coming off of an injury-riddled season, uh, Dakota Hudson coming off of Tommy John, Miles Michaelis has, has, has had so many injury issues over the last couple of years. You don't have a lot of certainty there. So I'm looking for somebody that can provide that for me. And I'll, I'm willing to overspend a little bit to get that. I don't want to spend in the Marcus Stroman stratosphere. $25 plus million dollars per year for certainty. I, I don't know if I want that. I think I can get 80% of Marcus Stroman for right around 60% of the cost with either John Gray or Steven Matz. With this defense behind them, I don't think that the results that you're getting are all that dissimilar. Strowman's better. Don't get me wrong. He is a better pitcher than either of those two, those two guys that I mentioned. But they're similar in terms of the style that they pitch with. You're going to get a lot of ground balls. You're going to get a guy that pitches to contact. So I, I would go with one of those two, given what my options are right now on the open market. But I also think it's bigger than that. What we're seeing for some of the reports is that these guys are going to sign soon. You're expecting John Gray and Steven Matz to come off of the board within the next week prior to the CBA deadline. And it sounds like some of the other players on the top end of the market, guys like Scherzer, guys like Marcus Stroman, they're probably going to wait. So either you get your guy now in Matz Gray, somebody from that tier of pitcher, or you wait, you do a trust fall, and you see if you can sign one of these top end starters. If you don't, if they end up, whether it be because they just don't want to come to St. Louis or they get a better offer elsewhere and you end up being left at the altar, now you have nobody and you're looking internally again and it's okay. Is Libertor ready for opening day? Are we ready for Alex Reyes to be in the opening day rotation? Do we trust Jordan Hicks? Is Oviedo ready this time around? I just don't know how you could do that. So for me, I want the certainty of A, what those guys can give me, and also B, that I'm actually going to sign somebody. So I've got it done now prior to the CBA deadline. That's why for me, it just makes more sense to go with one of those guys. And we got this from the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, why not go get Zach Grinky? He also provides some of those same things. I'd be fine with Grinky. I think these two players that we're talking about have more upside. I think you Agreed. could get a realistic 3-5 to 3-8 ERA out of Mats or Gray. I think Grinky, you're looking at right around a four, and you're looking at 25 to 30 starts. That's fine. You can you can win with that guy in your rotation. I think Gray and Mats are going to be part of a playoff rotation in a five-game series. I don't think you can expect the same thing out of Zach Grinky. And if I'm going to sign a guy to... Seven plus million dollars. I would like him to be a part of my playoff rotation if I do that this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you. And to go back to your point of I don't know if you want to wait and kind of do this trust fall to see if you can land maybe one of those top guys. The other thing, too, is based on everything we're hearing on the CBA is that this thing is going to go down to basically February. Some of these pitchers routines are maybe a little bit off. We don't know if spring training is going to be shorter or not. So we've seen historically pitchers that sign late 
really struggle the year that they do it because they're just out of whack. They don't get that full spring training routine. Look at Lance Lowe when he signed. I think it was a one-year deal with the Twins when he did that. He really struggled. Look at Greg Holland. Greg Holland has had decent years. That year he came to St. Louis late, really struggled. And I think that's part of it. So I don't know if I want to do that. And I think it's important. I think we can say the Cardinals have, what, three needs slash wants this offseason? Number three starter, impact bat, and maybe another reliever, not including Luis Garcia, who they're talking to. I think you got to get one of those three done before the CBA expires. And the pitching market is hot right now, so that's probably the one you need to solve. Because I don't think you want to head into this kind of maybe a potential two-week period in mid-February where you got to do all three. Because that's going to be really intensive. I don't know about what the starting pitching market is going to look like, but also the impact bat and the reliever market is just going to skyrocket, in my opinion, because of, hey, there's going to be more teams going quickly. We know what we have. Now we got to do this. So it's interesting. I I think it depends who you're asking. Are you asking me what their needs are? Or are you asking them what their needs are? Because I think those might be two very different answers. I agree with your list. If I ask the Cardinals, I'm not sure that they would agree with that assessment. I, I don't know that they believe they need an impact bat. It's probably more of a want for them. I, I think, think they would like to get one on their terms. I think I'm not sure needs, they feel like they need one. I think their needs is a starter and two bullpen arms. I think that's their needs. I think they would view it as we need need a starter and a bullpen arm. And that could be Luis Garcia. I think for them, the way that they're looking at it right now, like as of today, I think their bullpen would be Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes. That's your back end. Helsley, McFarland, similar to what we saw last year. And then I think Whitley could be back there and Woodford could be back there. Reading yesterday, Derek Gould's chat, he said the Cardinals don't view Woodford as a guy that needs to be down in uh, Memphis Memphis. next year. He's proven everything he can down there. It's time for him to be with the big league club, whether that be out of the bullpen or in their rotation next year. So I'm going to go ahead and throw him in there. You have one spot remaining. Maybe they decide Whitley can spend more time down in, in the minors. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with doing so. That opens up two spots. I think they would say we need one bullpen arm, and that could be Luis Garcia. Fill him in there. You need one starter to fill into that fifth spot, third third starter, however you want to look at it. And I think that's it. Because you look at the, the bench right now, Kisner, DeYoung, Slash Sosa, Newt Bar, Yepes, and then either Rondon or Gorman, and there's your roster for next season. I don't agree with that. I think they could use another bench bat. I think they could use another certainty in the bullpen. But I think that's how they view it. And then you're looking at right now, let's find out what that uh, starting pitcher is going to be for us. With that being said, then where are we spending our, what do we got, $30 million pretty much at this point? That's in the, the thing. Spend? I don't know. I, if that's the case and that's how they view it. I think it might be it, an extension. Uh, that, but that wouldn't go towards your payroll for the $30 million this year. That's the thing. Yeah, it would. If you sign, for example, Tyler O'Neill. Oh, one of the arbitration guys? Yeah, if you sign Tyler O'Neill to a five-year, $70 million contract. Yeah, I got you now. That would add another eight, nine million dollars to your payroll this year. I think it's possible that what we're looking at is they end up signing that number three starter to a $15 million deal. They go get one, maybe two bullpen arms, and they're five-plus million dollars each. So that gets you to 20 or $25 million. And then you're signing one of these guys to an extension, and that's how you get to your 30-plus. I think that that might be what we're looking at this offseason. It ain't sexy, but it could prove to be effective. That could be the best possible route for him. Not sexy, and I don't know how successful either because I think they need that impact bat. And in my opinion, if you're not going to spend your $30 million on the free agent market, which is fairly loaded this year, I just feel like that's a mistake. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's ask Mike Petriello what he thinks. MLB analyst for MLB Network. Does he believe that the Cardinals need one of those impact bats next next year or – 
would he be comfortable going into next season with these young guys on the bench as a possible uh, platoon option for them? We'll talk to Mike Petriello about that, and we'll get some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up here in about 15 minutes. It's all on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of your questions coming up here in about fifteen minutes or so. But right now, I've got some questions for my guy Mike Petriello, MLB analyst for MLB Network and MLB.com. Always appreciate him joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mike, always appreciate him, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Happy holidays. Absolutely, and same to you. Let, let's start with the news that Tanner just mentioned there in the Sports Center update. It sounds like the Rays are closing in on a 10-year, $200 million contract extension with Wander Franco. I, I am stunned, to say the least. I didn't know that the Rays would be willing to give out a contract like this, but if you do, he's the guy that you give it to. Uh, what is your reaction to the news that Franco looks like is going to get a 10-year contract from Tampa Bay? I could do you one better than that because I just saw reported by uh, Hector Gomez, who's a Latin American reporter, 12 years, $223 million. Oh, my God. For Wander Franco. And listen, that sounds like a lot. And it obviously, it is a lot to you and me. But I can't think of a safer prospect to make this kind of gavel on, right? Because he was the number one prospect in baseball. He's been highly regarded for years. And when he came up to the majors this year, again, he's still only 20 years old. Won't be 21 until March. And he came up and played half a season in the majors this year. And he looked great. Like, he completely lived up to every expectation we had. You know, an OPS plus of 129. So, it was about 30% better than league average as a 20-year-old. And so, you think 12 years, it's a long time. Well, it certainly is. But that only takes him up to 32. You know, and you think to yourself, well, okay, 200 and something million. But because of how good he is expected to be, if you think if he just played out like his normal six years and then got to free agency, he's probably getting a 200 plus million dollar contract six years from now in free agency. You know, so for the Rays to get all of that for this kind of money, I know it sounds weird to say it's a steal, but it's a steal. Yeah, it is. I just didn't expect the Rays to be the team to do it (laughs) because everything you just said is absolutely correct. He's an outstanding baseball player and he is, uh, you mentioned this on Twitter. If ever there was a safe bet to give a 10 to 12 year contract to it's him, but the Tampa Bay Rays are the team that trades everybody whenever they start costing any money. (laughs) Now they just gave $20 million a year to a guy that has one year of, of, proving it in the big league. So I'm just surprised that of all teams, they were the one to do it. I don't want to hear any teams anymore saying they can't do this when the Rays just did it. Yeah. Well, yes and no, my, we haven't seen the way the contract breaks down. I'm I'm guessing it's probably not 20 million a year. It's probably, you know, he was going to make, I don't know, $600,000 this year or whatever. So it's probably more like 2 million and then 4 million and et cetera, et cetera. But while I agree with you about the Rays, I also think what they've done here is, they have, and I, I hope this isn't what happens. Listen, I hope he plays for the Rays for 12 years and goes into the Hall of Fame with the Tampa Bay hat, right? But if, you know, six years, seven years down the road, he's a superstar and they decide they want to trade him, well, they're not trading a guy with one year left on his contract. You know, they can say, listen, we've already got him locked up for the next five years for, yes, a lot of money, but potentially less than what he'd actually be worth. You know, this is locking him up for the future. They're already going to have him for six years. They have really opened up their options for more than a decade. The only way this goes for is if he gets hurt, which is possible, and if he underperforms, which I would say is deeply unlikely. You don't get to the majors at 20 and perform as well as he did 
and not have a really great career. Like I've looked this up in terms of like Juan Soto before. The only guys who don't end up having great careers are the guys who get injured, you know, like a, a Tony Canigliari or something like that. It's it's a lot of money, but it's such a safe bet. Mike Petriello is our guest here on 101 ESPN. This is not what I expected to be talking with you about today, Mike. <laughs> we we figured we'd be having you on to talk pitching, specifically the, the free agency market. And yesterday there was a little bit of news. Anthony DiSclefani, three years, $36 million to go back to the Giants. It sounds like Alex Wood getting something around two years, $10-plus million per. Do you think it's fair to say that sets the market for this mid-tier free agent starting pitcher, specifically looking at guys like Matson Gray? I, I figured 12 to 15 for them. Is is that about right now? Yeah, I look at Matz as being a similar-ish pitcher to Di Sclafani. And as you said, Di Sclafani got three and what, 36. I think Matz is probably in that range. Um, you know, it's it's been interesting winter so far because teams are gambling on upside. And, you know, you saw how much money Verlander got for having not pitched in two years. And you saw how much money Syndergaard got as barely pitched in two years. But those guys have ace-level talent when they're right. As much as I like these Scalfani and Matt's, I don't think anybody puts them in that ace-level category. So I, I think the mid-level pitcher is going to do maybe a little bit better than you thought. Obviously not the $25 million a year that Verlander got. But you're right. You know, you look at Alex Cobb. Uh, you look at John Gray, Matt's, guys like that. I think you're going to see those guys getting three to four years is that like 10 to $15 million because everybody on the planet needs starting pitching. You know, obviously the Cardinals do, but so do a lot of other teams, the giants specifically, as much as I like Logan Webb, I think he's going to be a superstar. We saw it in October. Logan Webb got sent down to the minors as recently as July. <laughs> you know, like they do not have a starting pitcher. Uh, well, before Disco Fani returned, they did not have a starting pitcher who had had a full solid major league season. And I, I think obviously Webb will be that guy, but the, the market is moving quickly, and if this is an area where the Cardinals think they need to, to be in, I, I don't know that you can wait that much longer to make some kind of move. And that's what that's where where I'm at where I'm at rather as well. These are the guys that seem to profile best for what they're looking for. They have said that they want like a number three starter. At least it's been reported that that's kind of the case. A number three starter that's going to give them some certainty. Uh, there have been some rumors that maybe they'd be interested in a Max Scherzer. I'm skeptical of that because it's going to cost 30 plus million dollars per year. And that just doesn't feel very Cardinals like if you were going out into the market and you know what this starting rotation looks like. Are those the guys you would be focusing in on as Mats and Gray, or are there other pitchers that you think profile better for what the Cardinals need right now? Yeah, it's not my money, so I would definitely say Max Scherzer. Sure. <laughs> as we all would. Or Robbie Wright. It, it comes down to when you look at this rotation, do you think they need depth or upside? Obviously, the answer is you'd like to have both, right? For me, I think you need a little bit more depth because look at the guys who are here as much as we all love Adam Wainwright, he's going to be 40 years old. I'm not saying he's not going to be effective or healthy next year. There's no reason to think that, but you know, still the fact of the matter is he's going to be 40 years old. And then you look at some of the other guys. If you look at the trio of Flaherty Hudson and uh, miles Nicholas, it, they combined for 131 innings last year. You know, obviously you hope for more than that. Hudson's another year away from the arm injury, um, but 131 innings from those three guys, it is a lot to ask them to go give you 150 innings a piece next year. You know, so yes, get Scherzer if you can, get Ray if you can. I honestly think they need to sign two pitchers. I would probably go out and take a risk on a high upside guy like Carlos Rodon, who was phenomenal for the White Sox, but has had some injury history. And then I would go out, I would also try to get a, a mid-level guy like a Mats, like a Gray. I mean, if you want to try to combine both of those, maybe you go get Marcus Stroman because he 
as a ground ball pitch to contact guy in front of this very, very good St. Louis infield defense would make a lot of sense. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as saying, well, here's the one guy who's going to fix it. I do think they need more than one pitcher. Do you view starting pitching as their biggest need? Because this is something we were just talking about in the last segment is, okay, uh, it seems like if you're looking at their budget, they probably have 35, 30 to $35 million to play with this offseason based on their spending patterns in, in previous years. If I'm t- trying to divvy that up among the guys that they could potentially sign this offseason, it gets it gets really difficult pretty quickly if they're planning to also potentially re-sign one of their players internally, which is something the Cardinals like to do uh, in the offseason as well. I-, I think I would like to get one of those number three starters that we've talked about. I would like to bring back Luis Garcia and then it gets really tough. Okay, do you go get another bench bat? Do you go get another pitcher? What what do you do from there, Mike, if you were in charge of this team this offseason? What are the other needs that you're prioritizing? Yeah, I'm glad you said uh, pitcher and, and not just starting pitcher, you know, because they do need relievers as well, right? Everybody, it's clear you need a starter, but you probably need three or four new pitchers just in general, regardless of what role. Like, I would... If I'm running the team, I'd love to go out and get, you know, Corey Seeker. I think that's obviously the biggest name. But listen, you can get by at shortstop with, with DeJong and Edmundo Sosa. I don't think it's a great situation because it's now been several years since DeJong really looked like a star. But, you know, the, the rest of the lineup looks decent enough that you can get by without it. I would focus on pitching as much as I could. And then what I would do, and this obviously depends a little bit on whether we have a DH in the National League next year. But I think it's clear that we will. There's not anybody on this team necessarily who profiles to me as, oh, this is great. You know, we can get him off the field. We can take his glove away from him. He's our Kyle Schwarber or whoever that guy might be, because I hardly need to tell you all that the Cardinals defense is fantastic, right? There's nobody out there who's not a great fielder or at least a, a solid to very good fielder. I don't know that you're going to put Nolan Gorman in that role right away. So I think that might be where I try to focus my my uh, my offensive dollars. I think there's some teams like the Dodgers are a good example where they've got so many guys who are so flexible. You'll cycle guys through DH to give them a half a day off. That works okay. I don't think that's what you have here with the Cardinals. I think you've got some pretty solid starters. If you're going to play Arenado every day in the outfield, the young trio is going to play pretty much every day. I would go find a guy who is a big bat and not care so much if he can field because that's a great spot for this particular team. Do you have a favorite of those guys on this market? Nelson Cruz. I know he's a million years old, but who doesn't like Nelson Cruz? I just want to see him Welcome playing. Welcome to the, the club, or... Mike. Happy to hear you agree. <laughs> <laughs> what what specifically about Cruz is what would appeal to you about him uh, for the Cardinals? Well, I mean, just like a, a solid track record of hitting. You know, you could look under the hood and say there were minor steps back this year, and it wasn't great for Tampa Bay. But if you look at Cruz, he has been, let's say, like 20% above average or better every year since 2013, you know, and off the field, he's got such a great reputation um, for being a clubhouse guy and especially working with the, you know, the the young Latino players, not that the Cardinals don't have a good clubhouse by any means, but he has really generated a great reputation for how much he's helped, you know, the Mariners and the twins when he was there. And, you know, again, I don't really love the idea of cycling guys through, this isn't the right team for it. So listen, if you can get him, tell him to come in, tell him to mash. I think that's the best upgrade you can make. Mike Petriello is our guest for another minute or so here on 101 ESPN. Mike, final question that I've got for you. I mentioned that the Cardinals tend to like extending some of those guys that are getting into the arbitration years. They'll do it earlier on as well in the pre-arb years for some of their guys. If I told you, hey, you can sign one of these Cardinals outfielders to a five-plus year extension right now, O'Neal, Bader, or Carlson, if you were going to extend one of those guys this offseason, who would you go with, Mike? 
That is a really interesting question. I think we probably all agree that Carlson has the highest upside and he's obviously the youngest, but I would also argue that uh, you've got enough time to wait. You can try to sign him to that extension two or three years from now. So focusing on O'Neill or Bader, I think I would go with O'Neill because as much as I like Bader and his defense is fantastic, it's pretty clear that O'Neill's got the bigger bat and obviously also a very good defender. So I'd say O'Neill first, Bader second, and then Carlson check back in three years. I like it. That's that's the one that I would go with as well. I also wondered what the price would be for O'Neill and free agency. And if you can get ahead of that, that certainly could potentially save you a lot of money. He's Mike Petriello of MLB Network and MLB.com. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Happy holidays to you and your family, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. You bet. That's Mike Petriello here on 101 ESPN. Do you agree with what he said there at the beginning where he said we all agree that Dylan Carlson has the highest upside of that trio? I agree with him because I think he's going to be the best all-around hitter, and I think his defense is going to continue to rise up until he's a gold glover. That's that's why I'm with it. Tyler O'Neill. I love the home runs, and that's probably what would put him into the MVP conversation. But his health has been an issue for him in the past. I know Carlson dealt with some injuries this year, and he strikes out a lot, and he's a guy that can just ride an up-and-down wave. I could see him being a guy where one year you're talking about a 30-home run guy, and the next year you're talking about a guy that hit 220, and then the next year back to 30 home runs. That's just the way I view Tyler O'Neill. The reason why I ask is because if it is true that Carlson has the highest upside, and if you think he's going to get there sooner rather than later— Thinking a Wander Franco contract? <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. No, the opposite of that. Uh, maybe he's the guy that the Cardinals are projecting as being that big bat for them next year. Maybe we're looking at this wrong, and instead of them saying, hey, Juan Yepes is going to be our DH and he's going to be our big bat next year, Rookie of the year. maybe they're saying, hey, Juan Yepes is going to be an upgrade for us offensively, but the big bat that you're all talking about, that fourth bat that we're going to have in our lineup to add to Arenado and Goldie and O'Neal, it's going to be Dylan Carlson. Carlson's going to be a guy next year that hits 285 with 25 homers and an OPS over 800. Like maybe that's what they're projecting internally, and that's why they don't view the need for the big bat the way that we do. The thing is, is I think whether that, I agree or disagree with that, I think Carlson can be a really good hitter for you, but I just don't know if he's ever that impact bat. And what I mean by an impact bat is, I mean a guy that I know is going to get me twenty to thirty home runs and could drive in seventy-five to ninety runs. I I love Dylan Carlson. I think he's going to be a good gap to gap power guy, but I don't know if he projects as a 25 30 home run guy i, I mean, think he hit best, 18 last year he hit 18 but i think at best he's gonna be 20 to 22 somewhere in that range i don't know how you could say that though when he hit 18 last year i because i and just he's think playing he's, here i know i think he's more of a gap to gap guy and more of an average hitter and not not like average like he's just mediocre i mean like a guy that's gonna hit 280 290 i just don't see the power as much and maybe it'll come as the years come along i just don't think you can expect him to kind of Make that big leap next year to becoming that impact bat. That's why I think you should go get one. He could be one three, four years down the road. I just don't know if you should expect that from him next year. If he improves the power from the left side, I think he's going to be a 25-plus home run guy. I, I think that's what's in his future because last year from the left side when he was hitting as a lefty against right-handed pitching, he was not a very good power hitter. He, he had a 410 slugging percentage on the season. From the right side, he had a 530 slugging percentage if he's able to improve that i think you're going to see a 25 plus home run hitter what were his what was his uh average and ops on the both sides uh so average against right-handed pitching last year was 240 average against left-handed pitching 340 ops wow. against righties was 740 ops against lefties was 925 he was outstanding last year against left-handed pitching he was basically league average or slightly below against righties if he can improve from the left side of the plate 
that's how he becomes a superstar. Uh, but that's the thing he needs to do this offseason. He's got to get better against right-handed pitching because that's 70% of the pitching that he sees over the course of the season. And I agree. He'll probably grow into that on that left side. I just don't think you should expect him to make the, that really big leap this year heading into 2022 and become that impact bat. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us in studio here in just about five minutes or so. But coming up next, we'll get in some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are happy to be joined in studio today by our guy Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter. He's at JP Rutherford. JR, what's up, man? Not too much. If I weren't in studio, I wouldn't notice that you need a haircut. I do indeed. It is the longest that it's been since I was, I think, 13 years old. I don't know how to feel about it, but my fiance likes it, and it's going to be good for pictures, apparently. So here we are. Welcome to getting married, Jr. Tanner, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot in the last couple months of my fiance this and my fiance wants to and my fiance needs. She's a great gal. She's wonderful. You're, and that's why you're marrying her, right? That's, that is yep. absolutely correct. But the reason I bring that up is because now you're uh, going through what we've all gone through. Mm-hmm. That uh, life oh, is changing. I, have, I haven't experienced it yet. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- Tanner's still trying to get there. Uh, all right, JR. Yep. Good game for the Blues last night. They find a way to get back on track after what had been a really rough eight-game stretch for them in which they won one game in regulation. They go down 2 nothing last night in the first period. They have two goals scored against them right away. And your reaction was what? Yeah, you're thinking, you know what? They're not going to get traction. Like, this is uh, something that's going to linger for a couple weeks, if not the whole season. And I'm not basing that off a 2-0 deficit or or one game. But what we've seen lately, they've gotten guys back in the lineup. Sunquist, they'll get Shen back soon. We'll talk about that in a bit. But you go and lose that game to Arizona. Then you bounce back. One of your better games the entire season against San Jose. And then you give up two shorties. Against Dallas, I realize you know fluky things happen. Two shorties in one game, but you know they just didn't match up to the to Dallas. You know the way that you needed to. And so last night to go down uh, two nothing, six fifty into the game, you just thought, "Gosh, what is it with this team?" And uh, you know they put it together. What changed? Well, I think two things. One is it was so early in the game, you got that feeling that hey, there's a lot of time left. But I think most importantly, and I noted this in my article. I think I tweeted it to BK. Um, yesterday when I got to practice, you look at who's coming on the ice, and it's 10.30 in the morning. The first two guys on the ice are Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron. O'Reilly hadn't scored in nine games. Perron hasn't scored in 12. And it's not like they're two guys who are always the last ones on the ice. They're among the first most of the time. But they were out there working, passing, shooting, taking some shots off. Who's so, you know, Tanner's favorite goalie. And uh, <laughs> and uh, they're working, they're working hard. And, and I think, you know, that sends a sign and it's a long season. You know, of course they work hard, so it's not like guys may have taken note of that. But you, Craig Bruby said it afterwards. When they got down 2 nothing, he said Ryan O'Reilly started yapping on the bench and he was pulling the guys together, saying some great things. You wish he had a mic down there on the bench for that. Oh, it'd be great. Stuff, right? Yeah, and then so David Prawn makes this incredible play, you know, goes around the net, goes out to the point, and nobody else sees Ryan O'Reilly on the ice, but David Perron hits him with a pass, wide-angle shot, hits it, and now they're back 
going again. And and so I think the leadership of those two guys, that's what changed that game last night. I feel like Ryan O'Reilly is the guy that I've been waiting on because and this is not a shot against him by any stretch. First of all, he had COVID and it impacts everybody a little differently. And it seems pretty clear, at least now in retrospect, he was one of the guys that it took a little bit to be able to get over that. I'm not sure if he's over it now, honestly, but we'll see. Um, hopefully he gets better as time goes on. He had zero goals in the month of November prior to last night. When I look at what went wrong for the Blues in this stretch this month, it's kind of as simple as, and there is more to it, of course. This is simplifying things, but Ryan O'Reilly hadn't been producing, and David Perron hadn't been producing and still doesn't have a goal in his last few games. Is it as simple as when those two guys who, coming into the year, everybody expected to be two of your, what, five best players? When they're not playing at the top of their game or even anything close to it, this is what the Blues look like. And if they're able to get back to that, this team's going to be all right. I think it hurts your team when they're not playing well, but I don't think uh, you can't win when they're not playing great. I think there's enough depth up front, as we've been uh, talking about, that uh, you can still win games. You know, when they go six, seven, eight, nine games without scoring, uh, especially Ryan O'Reilly, he does a ton of other things that I think help make you successful. Um, but I think when they're doing the types of things that are kind of willing you to victories, you know, that's where it shows up a little more. But they do have to produce. They have to score. They have to. I mean, you can't rely on, you know, Robert Thomas and Tarasenko and all these other guys to score the goals when Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron are eating up those kind of minutes and they're on that number one power play unit. So they have to score. So, yeah, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, you don't want to say benefit of the doubt, but look, he went through COVID. He admitted, you know, zapped his energy. Even when he came back, you know what Ryan O'Reilly looks like when he's right. And he didn't look like that. I don't think he all of a sudden became 38 and can't play right. the game anymore. Uh, so I think everybody felt that he was going to come back and eventually get to that level. And, you know, last night, great goal, you know, did a lot of things for the team. He's, he's starting to look like he's getting closer. Is he there yet? Like you said, maybe not, but he's getting closer. The other thing that I noticed last night that stood out to me as we've got Jeremy Rutherford in studio with us for the next 25 minutes or so, if you guys have any questions for him, text him in the air comfort service text line is six, five, seven, eight. Oh, Nico Mikola getting into the lineup for the third time this season. First time since coming back from COVID he's physical, man, he's big and he's physical. And that's what we've been talking about all off season. This blues team needed to find on the blue needed to find on the blue line. Can he be that guy for them? Or maybe the better question is, does he deserve a chance to prove that he is or isn't that guy at this point? I think he does. The game he played last night is the game I expected to see from him like three games from now. So he went through the COVID. He hasn't played since November 4th. He's missed the last eight games because of COVID. And then he was a healthy scratch. And then he goes out last night. He plays physical. He, he he did have a couple hiccups, but that was knocking some rust off. But he's getting the puck up ice. And listen, I tweeted it last night. When he scored that goal, I don't know if I was more impressed by the shot that he took, which was a tremendous shot, or the fact that a six foot six, two hundred plus pound guy was all the way up ice waiting for Robert Thomas to give him the puck in stride and take that shot and score that goal. To me, he played a great game. You don't want to get caught up in 60 minutes and how he looked last night, but he definitely deserves the chance to be in there. And I really do think that that Blues third defensive pair, and look, they're young and experienced with Scott Prunovich, uh, the pair that we saw last night can be good, but the Blues need Mikola's physicality. There isn't a bunch back there in the D zone. He's not going to kill guys night in and night out, but they need that extra edge, and he gave it to him last night. If it's not him, then where do they find it? Because I think that's the big thing for me is like when you look at these Blues defensive pairings right now, 
I think they've got five guys that I like. I like Perunovic back there right now. I like the top four that they've got with, uh, or those four really. And then if you want to include Scandella as a bottom pairing defenseman, I, I like him there as well. They're kind of missing that one player, that one guy on the back end that can be a potential top four defenseman. If not Mikola, then who? Well, see, that's the thing. And, and I wrote about it. I think it's going to be in a mailbag coming up soon. Um, Nico Mikola right now, I think you got him in the third pair. Could he climb into your top four maybe a little bit? But the question to me is, I think Tori Krug and Justin Falk have to be together. There's just a chemistry there, and, and they just work. So it, you start to work around that. Okay, if Krug and Falk are playing together, what can you do? Scandell and Preco, it hasn't looked good. I know they went back to it last night, and they won the game, and it was fine. And this isn't all on Scandella. I'm not here to beat up Scandella. He's had his moments where he's played well, and he's had moments when he hasn't. You know, Colton Preco hasn't played well. So when you have two guys who aren't on their game, the combination isn't going to be good. So could they stick it out with Scandella and Pareko, and, you know, they, they, they become a pair that you can play? Perhaps, yeah. But... Can Nico Mikola be that guy who eventually climbs into a top pair? I think it's probably too soon. But to me, if you could have a Mikola higher up the lineup and he has to play well and deserve that, you know, then you have your Falk and Krug, and then maybe you have your Perinovich and Scandella, if Scandella's in your top six, you know, or and or Bortuzzo. So so to me, they're they're just, they're missing a guy who can play with Pareko when Pareko's on his game, whether it's Mikola, whether it's Scandella, I don't know, but I think they're missing that piece. When do they need to know that by? Like obviously the trade deadline is the correct answer here, but even prior to that, is this something that they need to know within the next month or by like January first to get a feeling of okay, what is the trade what do the trade candidates look like out there? What could we potentially have available to us? When when do you, is there a date? Is there a feel? When do you think they need to know who that guy can be next to Pareko? Yeah, it's early. They've played what, eighteen games. Mm-hmm. So you got the trade deadline still down the road. I think they probably know the answer. A lot of times, you know, I ask the same question, you know, when when do you need to know? You know, they probably know it. They know what Scandella can do. They know what those two guys, uh, you know, Scandella and Pareko can do. Um, you know, but they don't know what Mikula looks like in a long stretch of games, and they don't know what he looks like, you know, hypothetically, if he played with uh, Pareko and, and could he handle that up there. So I think, yeah, there's some time for this to develop and, and play out. In the meantime, you know, Doug is going to continue to scour the trade market and see – um, I, I don't know that it's on this roster unless Mikula really, really steps up. He's Jeremy Rutherford. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Want to get to some of your questions on the other side. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Also want to ask JR about the big piece that the Blues could be getting back soon with Braden Shin. When he returns, what does that mean for this Blues lineup right now with the way that they're constructed? It's looked really good with Oscar Sundquist on that quote-unquote identity line. Do they mix that up when you get Braden Shin back? I'll ask JR that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. studio with us for another 15 minutes or so 65780 is the air comfort service text line if you want to get some questions in for jr we'll get to those here in just a moment but i have one last question that i wanted to get to uh we can kind of go through this together jr it sounds like 
We're getting close on Braden Shin returning to the ice for the Blues. He's been skating with them. Now it's a matter of, okay, when does he actually return uh, to game action? When he does, if and when, I guess the first question, when do you think that will be if you have any update on that? And then secondarily, where do you think he slots into this lineup now that they've got Sonny back as well? Yeah, so he skated yesterday, skated again today. After uh, the morning skate yesterday, we asked Craig Bruby, and he said that Shen is very close. So does that mean tomorrow against Detroit? Does it mean Friday in Chicago? Does it mean Saturday against Columbus? I think we could see him tomorrow. You know, I, I think so. But if not, it's going to be one of the next couple games. And, yeah, so the Blues, uh, obviously, we've been talking about this depth for months. And now, knock on wood, if nobody gets hurt between now and tomorrow in Detroit, the Blues could have everybody healthy up front. And so uh, they're going to have to make a decision on who to pull out. To me, it would come down uh, between Costin and James Neal. And if it were my pick, I would keep Costin in the lineup. I think he's shown a lot. Lately, just uh, every game becomes more and more noticeable, making smarter plays. Uh, James Neal hasn't done a ton lately, so uh, to me, he'd be the 13th guy, the odd guy out. And then it becomes a question, what do you do with Shen? Are you putting him at center or are you putting him at left wing? The one thing I'll say is the injury is undisclosed. You know, there hasn't been much chatter about it. Um, I don't believe it's shoulder wrist, uh, but I think it's a situation with Shen. Do you want him in the middle? Do you want that workload? Do you want the 200 feet? Do you want him digging down low behind the goal? Do you want him you know, playing that role. And I think with the injury, the nature of it, uh, they might want to play him on the wing. So does he eventually get back to center? Uh, he, he might, but, uh, you know, it looks like he could be on the wing. So what do you do? You know, I think with the way Brandon Saad's playing, if you put Shen at center, uh, you could have Saad, O'Reilly, Perron. I think that second line could be Kairou, Shen, Buchnevich. We know that Kairou and Buchnevich have had some success. Mm -hmm. And then that keeps together Barbashev, Thomas, and Tarasenko. When I say keeps together, not lately, but they have played a lot together this season. And Barbie's been great this year so far. Yeah, real good. He's not – I wouldn't want to drop him down to a fourth-line role again. Right. I would want him getting those top top nine forward minutes. I think he can play there. And then that fourth line, if it's Costin instead of Neal, then you got Costin. You got Sunquist and Bozak on that line. You know, whoever you want to put at center, I think it'd be Sunquist. Maybe Bozak plays on the right side, but you could flip those two if you wanted. Now, if Shen goes to left wing, like I suggested, here's just an idea I'll throw out there. Uh, Kairou, O'Reilly, Perron on the top line. That's what they've been uh, running lately. Shen could go to that left side with uh, Robert Thomas and Tarasenko, the pair they always keep together, uh, also on that line. And then you have, quote-unquote, an identity line of Saad, Sunquist, Buchnevich with Buchnevich subbing in for Barbashev on that line. And then your fourth line would be Barbashev, Bozak, and Costin. So all in all, any way you shake it, left wing, center for Shen or whoever's on the third line, doesn't matter. That is deep. It's really deep. I like the first option better. Uh, because as I mentioned there, I, I like the idea of Barbie getting top nine minutes. I think he has proven enough at this point in time and with what he's done offensively he's too dynamic for me to place on my fourth line where you get to the third period and maybe it changes because now you've got a fourth line that it does have a little more ability out there with Barbie Uh, but in some of these third periods you're not seeing the fourth line a whole lot right now I I don't want that to happen to Barbashev I want him to be a guy that's getting out there and rolling consistently even in the third period so I would rather have that route as opposed to having him be the one that drops down to that fourth line with them putting um, Shin on the wing. I also just think Shin's better at center. I think for the majority of his career, and this is more anecdotal than it is backed up by stats. I don't have the splits in front of me or anything like that, but I think Shin has just been a better player at center. I also don't know that 
I would want him or there have been moments in the past where I don't know that the chemistry has been great between him and Tarasenko. Um, so that would be something that I would be a little leery of. They could make it work. Those guys are all good enough to where it would, it would probably end up being fine. But I think my favorite of those that you mentioned would be him at the center position and the way that that's kind of constructed around him to me makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, what and I'm think? sure I'm sure you could still make it work uh, by putting Shen on the wing and keeping Barbashev in that top nine. Sure. But uh, I'll be honest with you, this took me like 10 minutes to figure out. So that might take me 10 more minutes to figure <laughs> out. What is your favorite construction? Is there one that you you would prefer? Uh, I think any construction with these 12 guys in there. Yeah, not to take the easy way out, but I, I really do think the versatility, it's its just unbelievable. I mean, just like we said about Brandon Saad when the Blues signed him, he can play on your top line. He can play in your third line. And look what he's done. I mean, he's contributed another one on the power play last night. He's looked he, really good lately. He goes to the net. And, uh, you know, I threw out the tweet. I said, hey, is Brandon Saad the Blues' best player right now? And, and people reminded me that Jordan Kyrou's still on the team. So, <laughs> so he might. But you can interchange him, too. So I'm just looking at these different names and the different combinations. And, you know, I think uh, you make a good point about keeping Barbashev in the top nine. Uh, but uh, I think any way you construct these, uh, you're going to have a pretty good chance. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for some questions while we've got Jeremy Rutherford in studio. JR, I like this one from the 314. What are your overall impressions from Scott Perunovich so far? Is there anything about his game that has surprised you? One thing, it's not really a surprise because you knew it was there, but it's been better than I even anticipated was his passing. And so um, I was in the lower bowl sitting with his folks when he made his debut, and so I got a little better view than I do, you know, 300 feet up in the press box. And he had his head up, and he was making cross-ice passes to guys who weren't quite there yet, so he's kind of catching them in stride, which, you know, I know it's the NHL. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, here's a 23-year-old guy who had never played a game in the NHL, and he's making those types of plays. So what I've seen from him and what just blows me away is how he sees the game and how he's able to put those passes uh, on the tape. So, you know, what have I seen from him? I've seen a guy who reads the game, plays it well, executes, you know, are there questions about his size and is he going to get worked defensively? You know, I think the potential is there for it to happen. When you have a Tory Krug and a Scott Perinovich, you know, there's you're going to lose some battles in the defensive zone. But I think I've seen him play fairly aggressive for, you know, as small as he is and uh, and handle himself. So, you know, I think we need to see him a lot more, but so far so good. At this point in time, I haven't seen a moment, at least for me, where it's like, ooh, yeah, that size was a big problem for him there. And I'm sure those will come. There will be moments. I mean, we had him last year with Tory Krug, so this is not unique to him in particular. But I think the other thing is the way that they're asking him to play right now, the, the situations that he's been involved in, I think they've done a pretty good job of limiting those opportunities as well. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, but, you know, conversely, getting up in the offensive zone, getting involved in the rush. That pass he made the other night to Buchnevich, who gave it to Thomas, and they scored. You know, just terrific. So the vision's there. Everything's there. To me, you know, I've kind of evolved as the game's evolved, where, you know, you don't need the two sturdy defensemen who stand at the blue line. Like, that's not the game anymore. So what we see from Krug and what we're seeing now from Prinovich, this is what works. But the bottom line is 
you have to be able to execute it. If you have these smaller guys and their bread and butter is the passing and setting guys up and they're not doing that, then everything's off the rails. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you have any questions for our Blues Insider for the Athletic and 101 ESPN, Jeremy Rutherford. I like this one from the 314 as well. JR, how many point per game players do you think that the Blues could finish the season with? They currently have four that are either at or near the point per game production line. Cairo has 18 points in 18 games. Perron has 17. Thomas has 17. And Tarasenko has 16 so far. Yeah, I don't know that they'll get four. Let's keep in mind they had one last year, shortened season, David Perron. Uh, Thomas has made the step. Uh, Cairo's made the step. You know, if I had to guess, I think that Cairo can do it. You know, still young. Um Thomas, he's putting up a ton of assists. He just looks so it's good crazy. passing the puck. Yeah, so, you know, he's a guy who could come close. You know, if you base it on past history, you know, Perron can do it. I don't know that Tarasenko can keep that pace up. Uh, so if I had to guess, I'd say two to three of those guys. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If I set the over under a two and a half, what would you take? Two and a half on that question? Yeah. Um, I think I would go under. I think I would go with two. Yeah. It's under. just such a difficult thing yeah, to accomplish. Yeah, super hard. Look, the, before Perron did it last year, the last guy to do it was Demetra in the early 2000s. Really? Yeah. So That's crazy. It just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I, I'd say under. Uh, from the 9-8-0, JR, how much concern should I have as a Blues fan about Jordan Bennington's three goals a game average of late? How much, how much concern is there about Bennington in your well, mind? Well, I'd be concerned a little bit, but... You know, you deal with save percentage more with the goalies than you do the goals against. You know, you give up three, four goals. You know, one of them, two of them could be power play against. It could be a situation where a bad line change and, and Bennington gets exposed. Look, has Jordan Bennington been terrific this season? No, but I think he's been good. You know, he's stolen you a couple games. Winnipeg, you know, the other night he played well. I think Craig Bruby's made the comment a couple times that, you know, we need to come up with the save at times, and, and that's true. He needs to better, be better. He'd probably tell us that if he were sitting here right here. But what I saw in Dallas was a goalie that played well, and the team didn't play well in front of him, and I've seen that a few times this season. So I, I'm not here to say, you know, Jordan Bennington is a top three goaltender in the NHL, but I think he's a good goaltender that you can win with when you're playing well in front of him. I don't think he's been part of the issue. Um, I... I think that you could, if you're asking for more from Bennington, totally get that. But I, I don't think that this team's where it's at right now because Jordan Bennington has been bad. I think Jordan Bennington's been slightly above average, and he's going to have, have better moments the rest of this season. But I, I don't think he's been the issue. Uh, this one comes from the 314 as well. Uh, guys, who would you start in net for these games over the next three dates? You got Detroit tomorrow night. You've got Friday night at Chicago. And then on Saturday, you have that back-to-back coming home against Columbus. How would you set it up between Huso and Bennington? Yeah, that's a good question. And Huso's playing really well, so you want to get him in there. Um, you know, I don't think he anybody's talking about him becoming the starter, but I think that when, when you, you have to note, recognize Well, that, you haven't been around Tanner long <laughs> enough. I haven't been around Tanner. Yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> when he's playing as well as he has, you have to take advantage of that. And so whether it's giving him a spot start here and there, I know they have a schedule they try to stick to you know i think you have to do that uh to answer the question gosh you know bennington's played here a few games in a row seen a lot of shots bailed the team out a lot do you give him the rest tomorrow in detroit eastern team that's you know not playing great 
Um, tomorrow might be a day that you go to Huso. So we'll see. The only thing is if you go to Huso tomorrow and you split up the back-to-backs. Now you get two out of the next three with two Huso. Two or three or Huso. And, and do they want to do that? They might want to do that. I don't know. But uh, if you go with Huso tomorrow, you're going with Huso probably in one of the back-to-backs. And, and so, you know, how they divvy up that back-to-back, I don't know. But to me, I would think you'd try to go Bennington two out of these three, but but we'll see. Next week, by the way, just out of curiosity, staying on the same line of thinking, when you've got Tampa back-to-back, not in straight dates, but you've got Tampa on Tuesday and Tampa on Thursday, and then the same thing Saturday versus the following Tuesday with Florida, uh, do you consider divvying those up, one Huso, one Bennington as well, or do you just play that as you normally would, given that it's not a true quote-unquote back-to-back? Yeah, I think so. I think you'd probably split them up. I don't have the numbers in front of me how each goalie's played against each team. Obviously, Huso's small sample size anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, so they're not true back-to-backs, you know, night after night. But um, you know, against the same team, I mean, you don't want to trot out uh, one goalie; he gets lit up, and then you come back with him, you know, two nights later. So I think there's a chance they could split those up. But man, you're looking uh, a week ahead. I'm trying to figure I, I out. I was just tomorrow. curious because we're not going to be in on <laughs> right, uh, right. in on the show for the for the next few days. So I wasn't sure what the uh, what that would look like for them or what you would project for them. JR, we always appreciate yeah. you coming in studio, man. What can people find over on The Athletic right now for some of your Blues coverage over the next uh, 24 hours or so before we get to Thanksgiving? Yeah, so we had part one of the mailbag a couple of days ago, and then today there's uh, five random thoughts off of the Blues' recent stretch, a little bit up and down. We got part two of the mailbag coming out soon, little Tarasenko accent to it. And uh, Braden Shen, what are the Blues going to do when Braden Shen comes back? We just touched on it, so I gave you the scoop on what the article is going to say. And uh, I think later in the week, uh, we're going to have some fun. What's the Blues roster look like in 2024-2025? Is Ryan O'Reilly part of it? (laughs) Can you answer that for me? (laughs) That's the big one. I'm looking forward to reading that for you, man. I haven't started on that article, so tell me me if he should be. I I mean, I would love for him to be here. Is it going to require a no-move clause? Because (laughs) I don't know, man. I've seen that go uh, sideways a couple of times. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Is is Matthew Kachuk going to be here? Oh, man. Oh, now, now really we're getting out. into the weeds. <laughs> He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Enjoy having him in studio. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, some NFL rapid reactions, including are we getting out over our skis a little bit on this young quarterback being the future for a potential playoff team? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Rapid reactions with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You're listening to BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 15 minutes or so, we will talk about the latest from Derek Gould on the Cardinals free agency plans. He dropped a new story moments ago. We'll tell you the latest on that coming up at the top of the hour. Let's get into some NFL news and notes. Jalen Hurts has made a big impression on the NFL world over the last few weeks. The Eagles are suddenly right in the playoff mix in the NFC and Dan Orlovsky of ESPN thinks he's the answer at quarterback for the Eagles. It is not a question anymore. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback now. He is the quarterback for the future. This is a team that is winning while rebuilding. Yeah. Put those two. That does not happen. 
in the NFL. Jalen Hurts right now in the last month has got the best QBR in football. They're using him the right way. That's They're the utilizing him as a weapon. He's become a runner. His scrambles remind me of Russell Wilson back in the day. Devontae Smith doesn't get covered. Dallas Goddard is great. Look at their schedule. They're in the playoffs. Fly, go fly. And Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future for the no, no, I, 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 Okay. He's really confident what, Russell Wilson. Let's, let's reel this in a little bit. Jalen Hurts has been super impressive over the last month. Have you looked at what their schedule has been over the last month, Tanner? They haven't played anybody good, right? They've played Detroit, who they destroyed. They stink. The Chargers and lost. Denver, who has traded away a bunch of their stink. good players. And New Orleans, who is starting Trevor Simeon at quarterback in that game. In the last four games, Jalen Hurts has attempted 78 total passes attempted he's at like That's 17 game, 17 passing passing attempts per game right now he has 590 passing yards in his last four games total three touchdowns one interception Jalen Hurts is a really good player when it comes to running the football in those four games 260 yards on the ground three touchdowns but if I told you Tanner hey here's this quarterback he's great he has six total touchdowns in his last four games Wait, what do you mean he's great? That's not a great quarterback. That sounds like a team that is playing pretty well right now. The Eagles' defense has been playing at a very high level over the last four weeks. Their offensive line has been spectacular. That's the biggest change for them. I think the Eagles have a real shot to be able to make the playoffs. Their schedule coming up is New York, the Giants, New York, the Jets, another game against the Giants, two against Washington. That's six games where they should probably win all or excuse me, five games where they should probably go five and zero. Oh. that gets you to 10 and six going into the last week of the season. I think the Eagles might make the playoffs. The idea that Jalen Hurts is the answer at quarterback. That's absurd. Yeah, I'm with you. Jalen Hurts to me is just barely better than Taylor Heineke. That That's where I think I put him. Taylor Heineke is a guy that can make the right plays every now and then nothing flashy, but he's not a franchise quarterback. I put Jalen Hurts in the same kind of category as him. I think he's a good quarterback. I think if you put him in the right system, he could kind of play like Lamar early in his career where he can run around a little bit. I think that's what we're we're watching right now. Yeah, I I think in that case, he would be fine. But even then, I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback. He's going to have to start throwing the ball down the field. You mentioned those passing numbers. That's absurd. And you look at their schedule, not only is it easy kind of the rest of the way, they do have the Cowboys as like their one remaining tough team. They've only played like four legitimately good teams on their schedule all year, and they're still mediocre at best. So... No, I'm not in on Jalen Hurts being the future for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's fine. He's perfectly fine. He's like the 23rd best quarterback in the league right now. There's nothing wrong with having that guy, but if you've got a chance to upgrade next offseason the way that they should, yeah, you go out there and you find the next the next quarterback. If they've got an opportunity to get, for example, Russell Wilson, or if they've got an opportunity to go get somebody at the top of next year's draft and they deem him to be an upgrade over Jalen Hurts, Having Hurts on the roster should not preclude them from doing so. All right, let's get into this. From the NFC side of things, we just talked about the Eagles as having a potential playoff ceiling. Of these teams, Hanner, the five win teams in the NFC, who do you think has the highest ceiling? Not the one you believe in the most, but the team that you think has the highest ceiling for what they can do if or when they get into the postseason. The Vikings, the Saints, 49ers, Eagles, Panthers, those five teams in the NFC, Minnesota, New Orleans, San Francisco, Philly, or Carolina, which one has the highest ceiling to you? I think I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings because I think their win over Green Bay was really impressive. And all their games this year have been pretty much one score game. So they're in everything. They could easily be one of those teams that you're looking at and go, 
they're once the record five and five, they could easily be one of those teams at seven and three because they just flipped two games. Sure. So I think it's the Minnesota Vikings. I think Kirk Cousins has had a really good year. To me, this might be his best year. Uh, and that's just kind of been watching, not looking at the numbers. And the defense has played pretty well of late. And like I said, yes, that win over Green Bay, we talked about this yesterday, I think it was. I just thought they called the perfect game. They, they played that to perfection. I don't think Green Bay's defense is bad to give up that many points to them. I just think Minnesota executed, called the perfect game plan. I think they have the highest ceiling of the five-win teams. Did you know Kirk Cousins has thrown two interceptions this year? Two on the entire season. He's thrown 21 touchdowns and two interceptions so far this year. Kirk Cousins is quietly putting up a pretty good year for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm with you. I think he's the best quarterback of any of these teams. You're telling me Kirk Cousins versus Trevor Simeon or Jimmy Garoppolo, Jalen Hurts, or Cam Newton? Yeah, I'm going to take Kirk Cousins. And oh, by the way, along with him, I'm able to get Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook on that side of the ball. I think the Vikings defense is just okay. They've got a couple of playmakers uh, on the defensive side of the ball that I can uh, lean on. They're clearly, to me, the team that hides the highest ceiling out of these five win teams at the back end of the NFC playoff race. What if we flipped it over to the AFC side of things? The Bengals, the Chargers, Bills, Colts, and Browns all have six wins right now. They're all in that mix for the back end of the AFC playoff race. Cincy, L.A. Chargers, Bills, Colts, Browns. Who has the highest upside of those teams in your mind? Ah, uh, this one's tough. I think, I think I'm going to go with the Chargers. I think Justin Herbert is a quarterback that I can rely on not to make that kind of boneheaded mistake. I don't feel that way in Josh Allen anymore, especially after watching them get beat up by the Colts and they've lost and they lost to Jacksonville. I like Cincinnati. I love Joe Burrows. I loved him coming out of the draft last year. I just don't know if they're there quite yet. I think I'm going to go with the Chargers and Eckler's one of the most, in my opinion, underrated running backs in the NFL. I think I'm going to go with the LA Chargers. I think I'm going back to the Bills. I think we've overcorrected on the you're Bills the guy a little bit. That always is like Josh Allen makes that one mistake. Yes, and here because you are supporting them. So it, it's about the expectations, right? Earlier in the season, the expectations for the Bills were, oh, this is the best team in the AFC. How's anybody going to play with them? At the time, they had the best defense and the best offense in all of football. Okay, kudos to them. I'm skeptical. I don't view them as being that good. Well, guess what's happened over the last three weeks? And this is not because I'm some sort of a genius, because I'm not. I'm wrong more often than I'm right. They lost to the Jags because they didn't have anything offensively going for them. They destroyed the Jets, but the Jets are a fake football team. And then they lost against the Colts because they couldn't stop the run, which has been a consistent theme for them over the last few weeks. And because, again, their offense couldn't get anything going. Josh Allen is a very talented quarterback. He's also a high variance player. He's a guy that in certain games is going to look unstoppable. In others, he's going to make decisions that nobody else would make. It's not that they can't make, they wouldn't make them. And Josh Allen does end up making those mistakes. And so for the Bills, I think they're a good team. I think they are a flawed team and their quarterback is part of that flaw. But when he's playing well, if you get into the postseason and Josh Allen has a peak performance, Uh, type of a game they can beat anybody anybody in the AFC anybody in the NFC the Bills can be up there with anybody so relative to expectations I was lower on them earlier in the season 
Now I think I've suddenly become higher on them than a lot of people are. See, I'm kind of the same way with the Chargers because I came into the year thinking they were going to be better, but not necessarily a team that we could be talking about as on the right night they could go beat anybody. I think that's how I am with them. So I just have the same script, just kind of flip to the Chargers. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. At the top of the hour, we'll give you the latest from Derek Gould on what kind of pitchers the Cardinals are going to be looking for. If you've been listening to this show for any uh, amount of time over the last few weeks, you're going to have a pretty good indication on what we are going to be talking about and which pitchers they could be looking at. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner, have you ever done a Yelp review? I, I can't decide if I feel like you would be the exact type of person that would go down that path or if you would be the last person to go down that path. No, I, I have not done a Yelp review. I don't take my frustrations to the internet. I just carry it inside of me and then let it out. To so if people. you ever do, I would recommend waiting to do so until after you either leave that establishment or are done staying in that particular hotel, just as an example to throw out there. That seems like common sense, but I'm assuming some people don't do that. Apparently not. For um, one grandmother, name is Susan, Wait, down in... A grandmother's on Yelp? Apparently. Man, down in Georgia, she and her six-year-old granddaughter were kicked out of their hotel after leaving a negative review, a three-star review of their hotel room that they were staying three stars in. pretty good. And it, uh, apparently, they weren't thrilled about it. So uh, they had an email from Hotels.com, um, and she called. She was very upset about her stay at this hotel. And as a result of the complaints that she had listed on the hotels.com, the company called her and were like, hey, you need to get out of there. It's it's over. We're, we're done with you staying in that room. You need to leave the hotel now immediately. And she's like, wait, what do you mean? So she calls the cops and is like, hey, these people are trying to kick me out of my hotel room for leaving a negative review on Hotels.com. Turns out the officer was able to find her another room at a nearby hotel. They had to walk down the street in their pajamas to get to the other hotel because they were kicked out. I can't imagine. First of all, shame on this manager for actually going through with that. That's bad form by them. That will actually earn you a legit bad review. I can't imagine getting so upset with somebody that they left a bad review that I would kick him out of my establishment, but lesson to be learned for all of us. Wait until after you're done staying at the hotel or eating the food that you're eating before you leave that review. I'm shocked that's the thing you took away from that because the thing I took away from that is if you're so upset and leaving a three-star review and you get kicked out, your immediate reaction is, fine, I don't want to be here. <laughs> that's not your immediate your immediate reaction is, well, I want to stay? Come on, to me, it's... If, you, if you're going to put three stars down, you're going to get kicked out. It should be one of those, oh, yeah, I'm not kicked out, I'm leaving kind of things. That's my biggest takeaway uh, from it. They were told to leave. There was a police officer that escorted them. Um, I, I can't imagine being this upset by a hotel review. By the way, the thing with Yelp, one thing I don't understand is 
who's leaving Yelp reviews on like a McDonald's or something like that? The, like those fast food chains. Like I understand like a restaurant, like an Italian place or something leaving a review. Every time I look on like a Google Maps or something, I'm like, okay, I want to get quick by. Where's the nearest McDonald's? Like when I'm traveling or something. And I always see like, oh, this McDonald's has two stars. Well, who's? Why are we rating fast food chains like that on see, Yelp? See, I use Yelp all the time. Not, uh, not. You would be a Yelp guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't review anything. I don't put down reviews. Oh, you use it as a yeah, source. as a guide. Gotcha. Like if I'm going to a different city where I've never been to, I don't want to go to all the tourist traps, the spots where you would typically expect to go. So I'll look for places that are like under the radar are as opposed to just your typical spots uh so that's something that i use for whenever i'm i'm going anywhere else travel wise but i don't myself review anything and maybe that's bad form by me but i i don't do it yeah i don't either i just don't i don't i don't know why i don't because there are times where like i leave a place i'm like man that was awful i feel bad for anybody that's gonna go there but then i don't help out by going to yelp so maybe i'm part of the problem he's tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll play a game of bet it or forget it 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it coming up next though Derek gould of the st louis post dispatch has an update on the type of pitcher that the cardinals are going to be looking for he has four names in particular that could be connected to this team spoiler alert we've at least mentioned a few of these regularly here on the show we'll talk about them next on 101 espn the real big st louis sports picture it's bk and ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 espn This quote from Eli Drinkwitz. This is him on a radio show down in Florida a little bit ago. We'll get to the Cardinals here in just a moment. But Matt Hayes tweeted this out. Eli Drinkwitz on a radio show on explaining how it felt to beat the Gators and Dan Mullen after the brawl that they had, or at least the near brawl that they had last year. He said, quote, my father was a farmer. There's an old saying, you reap what you sow. If you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow jackass, then you reap jackass. That was Eli Drinkwitz on 1010XL down in Jacksonville on what it was like to beat the Florida Gators last week. I don't think Eli Drinkwitz has a whole lot of love lost for Dan Mullen or the Florida Gators. Got that vibe. (laughs) I I think that it's uh, safe to say that. By the way, Harrison Mevis, the Mizzou football kicker, was not named a finalist for the Lou Groza Award, which means this year I will not be honoring the Lou Groza Award because he was absolutely deserving of winning that one. Uh, Also, for the Mizzou side of things, earlier today it was announced that Tyler Beatty will be one of the three finalists for the Doak Walker Award, which is given to the nation's top running back. The other finalists were Iowa State's Brees Hall and Michigan State's Kenneth Walker III. So uh, huge congrats to Tyler Beatty, one of the three finalists to the award that's given to the nation's top running back every year. All right, so that's a little housekeeping on the college football side of things. want to get back to the Cardinals. We have talked a lot about which pitchers make the most sense for this team and where this team is going to spend in the offseason. Derek Gould has a new post up just moments ago over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and there are a few nuggets within this story that are worthy of us talking a little bit about here, Tanner. He says that the Cardinals do plan for the payroll to increase in 2022. That has been confirmed now by President of Baseball Operations John Mosaylock. Quote, they are aware of the cost of pitching in the open market 
and see options worthy of that investment, end quote. What do you make of that? We'll get to some of the candidates here in just a moment, but I find that to be maybe the single most important thing that we've learned about the Cardinals offseason thus far. Yeah, that makes me think that in terms of talking about pitching is that they may actually be legitimate contenders for a Marcus Stroman or maybe going into a Max Scherzer market. And the reason I say that is because if we're talking about they only had $30 million to spend and they want to allocate it maybe a little bit better, then the Steven Matz deal makes sense. And I still think they're interested in Steven Matz and uh, John Gray, those those two mid-tier guys that are left on the market. But hearing him say that, hey, the payroll is going to go up, that makes me believe that they are actually – they're probably showing interest in Steven Matz, but if they fail on that, they're willing to go to a Marcus Stroman and Max Scherzer rather than going down a tier, maybe they'll be willing to move up a tier. So the Cardinals' payroll has been – Right around 170 to 175 million dollars the last few years, they've been fluctuated somewhere around there. Right now, they're around 145, 140 to 145, depending on where you look. That allows them to have that 30 to 35 million dollars that we've been talking about. So that that would seemingly suggest if payroll's going up, they might even have upwards of 40 million dollars available for them to spend. That changes things pretty dramatically for what you're willing to do. If they're willing to go up to between 180 and 185 in terms of their payroll and they're willing to spend another 40 to 45 million dollars, I'm not saying this will happen, but at that point you could sign Scherzer and also do other moves. That's the difference here. Or you could go get Marcus Stroman on a five year, $25 million per year deal and also go get a big bat. Or you could get Stroman plus a couple of relievers and a bench bat, something like that. It it allows for a lot more flexibility if you have more than $30 million available to spend. When you're you're down at that $30 million range, it looks like Stroman plus Luis Garcia, boom, you're done for the offseason, let's all go home. And it doesn't allow for a whole lot of flexibility for any extensions that you might hand internally. I, I think this is our guide, right? The the question is always, okay, what do you have available to spend? And then how do you allocate that based on the players that are available to you? If they're going up from where they were last year, a, and also B where they have been previously, that's a pretty significant statement there from John Mosellock. It also tells you they're not doing nothing. Like we get texts all the time. The Cardinals are going to be cheap. They're going to go cheap. They're not going to talk about, or they're not going to sign anybody. If they're increasing payroll, if the expectation now is that they're going to increase payroll and they don't like setting expectations where they don't meet it, they're going to sign somebody of substance this offseason. I think you can lock that in now. The question is who and when. The other thing for me, too, is this kind of we've always heard about what what do the Cardinals want to do? They just want to be competitive every year. To me, this kind of shows they're never all in, but this kind of shows you they're going closer towards that all-in because if they're going to increase payroll, they know the winning windows here. They know they've got Nolan Gorman. They know they've got Matthew Liberts for Juan Yepes, all these pieces that are so close to making that big league club, and now they just want to sprinkle on top of it some of these big free agents, and they're willing to increase payroll. To me, that that doesn't just signal to me, okay, we know the division is bad. We're going to win it. We can add just some smaller pieces, and then we'll get into the playoffs. No, that to me signals – we're going to lock up this division and we want to get into the playoffs and we want to make some noise. And that whether that's a Stroman or Scherzer signing, don't know, like you said, because we don't know how they're going to do it. But I'm with you. They're going to probably make a big move. And it sounds like it could be coming in the next week or so. It could be. So the guys that they're interested in are players who fit this description. This is according to Derek Gould over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. 
He said the Cardinals see the potential to upgrade the rotation through free agency and have had ongoing internal conversations about who the best fit is and who the best offer would be to pursue. The belief is that they have multiple pitchers who could do uh, who could fit what they need. And because of their gold glove defense, they have a broader spectrum of pitchers to choose from without fixating on something like uh, missing backs, bats, which is what the other teams are going to have to do in this free agency market. He also added that Sean Manaya is a player who would fit what the Cardinals are looking for. But as the Cardinals were looking into the trade market, they found it less palatable because they were constantly asked to include top prospects such as Nolan Gorman, Matthew Liberator, or Jordan Walker, and the Cardinals, quote, have no interest in dealing that level of talent for a starter when they can sign one on the open market instead. So we can go ahead and write off the, unfortunately, Sean Manaya dream. I'm going to go ahead and assume that's not happening. As much as he'd look good in red, he's going to have to stay in green. For now, until he ends up on the Dodgers this offseason. That's Whoa. kind of what I'm anticipating at this point in time. So... Who are you looking at? What are the starters that you're looking at? According to Derek Gould, it's a lot of the guys that we've been talking so much about. Steven Matz is one who he listed. Marcus Stroman is another. John Gray is somebody that he put in this list. Alex Cobb is another guy, although it sounds like he is most likely going to end up with the San Francisco Giants. He did list as well. He's mentioned this before. There is mutual interest between the Cardinals and Max Scherzer. Um, he put Zach Grinky as somebody who might fit into this list, but really it's Gray, Scherzer, Matt Stroman. Those are the four guys that seemingly make the most sen- most sense for the Cardinals. This goes back to the guys we've been talking about. I think you've got two options. If the Cardinals make a signing this week, I, I think they're going to get either John Gray or Steven Matz. If the Cardinals wait until after the CBA expires, I feel pretty confident they're going to sign Max Scherzer or Marcus Stroman. I don't know how you couldn't at that point in time. Yeah, I'm with you because it does seem like uh, at least Steven Matz, we're pretty confident, is going to come off the board before the uh, CBA expires. John Gray, we're not hearing a lot on. I haven't heard, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, I have not seen a lot on John Gray in a market developing for him just yet. That'll change when the Matz sweepstakes come to a close. I, it's going to be fascinating to see what the Cardinals, because if they really want to go get a Max Scherzer or Marcus Stroman, and there is that mutual interest in Scherzer, I'm really interested to see how they're going to play into this Matt's market. Because if, to me, if you sign Matt's, you're off that market. Correct. For you're making a decision. You're. I think you're choosing one or the other. But what's right interesting now. is that normally in an offseason, you could kind of debate this back and forth. Okay, we've got time. What are we going to do? We're going to go to the top end. Are we going to go this mid-tier market? This mid-tier market is, boom, it is ready to go, and it wants to get done by pretty much December 1st. That is a tough position for them to be in because – if you choose to walk away from that because you think you're going to get Scherzer after the CBA is set in stone, and then you miss out on them, mm. that's a tough thing to to swallow if you're the Cardinals. And they're like you I said, you can't miss out. I know you can't miss out, and that's what makes you this have very to win tough. the bidding war. This is what makes it tough is because one market is moving while the other is kind of staled or stalled. You have to decide quickly rather than normally where they're both moving pretty much at the same pace. It's usually. One big free agent comes off, and then we see a mid-tier guy come off. Not this year. This year, it's kind of a weird scenario because of the upcoming CBA. I have been skeptical of their real interest in Max Scherzer all along. I've been skeptical of it. I continue to be. I think they're going to sign one of John Gray or Steven Matz. But your gut tells you something, doesn't it? I, piecing things together, A, them saying that they're will, they are expecting 
they're planning for the payroll to increase for 2022. That's a, That's an important factor here. And B, the fact that we are getting so many reports that Matt's is expected to sign by tomorrow, and there are reportedly eight different teams that have submitted an offer to Stephen Matz, and he might have some interest in returning back home for him, kind of like Scherzer, going home to New York where he is from and previously played for the Mets. I don't know if he's going to end up here or not. I think he's a great fit, but does he decide, even if the offers are similar or the same, to go back home to New York as opposed to coming here to St. Louis? That is possible. If you miss out there, the last guy really in that market is John Gray. I don't know what the Cardinals' interested level in him is. Matt's is a much more obvious fit. He's a sinker baller. He is constantly available. He has shown everything that the Cardinals are looking for this offseason. He is Marcus Stroman light. John Gray's a little different. John Gray has a higher walk rate. He pitched in Colorado where the numbers are inflated. I don't know what he would look like here in St. Louis. I don't know how anybody could tell you that they know what he would look like here in St. Louis. But he's been talented, or he is a talented pitcher, and he could be a high upside play. Do they go that route within the next week or so? If they don't, I think Scherzer might be more likely than Stroman. I, I, if you're telling me you could sign one, of Scherzer versus Stroman, and Stroman's going to be five years and $125 million. And Scherzer is going to be three years and 100. I think this team would lean the latter. I think they would lean towards Scherzer because of the local connection, because I think he's just flat out better. And if you're telling me the difference is $8 million a year over three years, and it's a shorter term deal, I think that's the better move for this team, frankly. I think I'm with you, and I, I think the other reason I kind of lean towards that, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, of I think they need an impact bat. I think it's on their need list, but do the Cardinals really think that way? And if they don't, if they if they don't think they need that impact bat and they think Carlson becomes that, or maybe they'll just deal with it later on at the trade deadline or something, then maybe that's where that extra $8 million goes to that Max Scherzer deal. And I'm with you. I think Max Scherzer's better than Marcus Stroman. My concern with Max Scherzer is age, of course, and the dead arm we saw in the playoffs. And his numbers didn't look good at the very end with the Dodgers. I know he's very elite for the Dodgers because I put him in the Cy Young conversation. But let's not forget, heading into that playoff start, we were talking about him having some rough numbers, mm. and then he deals with dead arm. That concerns me a little bit, but two, three-year deal, I think I could handle that and paying that extra $8 million. So I guess that's the question is, I, I don't think this team's signing an outfielder, a left-handed bat. I think at this point I'm convinced they're going new bar. I, I think that we can say... I feel about 90% confident that I can name the 13 guys that will be on the opening day roster. Or at least Yachty, some kind Goldie, of Goldie, Edmund, Sosa, Arenado, O'Neal, Bader, Carlson. Same same starting eight that you said you had last year. And then you've got Kisner, DeYoung, Newtbar, Yepes as your top four off of the bench right now. I think Rondon will be the fifth on opening day. I think that will end up being Nolan Gorman's spot on the roster. I think those are your 13 position players early on, barring something unforeseen this offseason. Agreed. If that is true then Scherzer makes sense for this team. I I can't believe I'm saying that. I didn't expect that to be the case. I didn't know that they were going to be this confident in increasing their payroll. That's what's changed for me today. The thing that changed for me today is reading this from Derek Gould, where he says that president of baseball operations, John Mosellock has confirmed that the Cardinals plan to increase the payroll for 2022. They are quote, aware of the cost of pitching in the open market and see the options worth that investment. 
And the thing for me, too, is like we kind of saw the hints of this when we were talking about this leading up to today from last week, two weeks ago, where it was, well, do you really want to gamble on all these young position players? That, that's the talk has been, are you going to gamble on the young position players rather than last year where it was the young pitchers? We kind of saw those hints, but we thought, ah, well, maybe not. They kind of learned the lesson from going with young pitchers last year. Maybe they won't continue with this confidence with the position players. They'll go add a depth piece. But as it continues to build, you can kind of see these little breadcrumbs that kind of lead towards this Max Scherzer idea. And now that you get the confirmation from Mo of, hey, we're going to increase payroll, we understand the pitching market, to me that does seem to really set in stone of, hey, we know what we have. We're going to go ahead and give these young guys a chance. And if we have to because it doesn't pan out, then we will go add depth this at the trade deadline. It's kind of how I view it. If I told you right now, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. If I told you right now, Tanner, that the Cardinals offseason – is signing Max Scherzer to a three-year deal worth $100 million. They sign Luis Garcia to a one-year deal worth $5 million, and they re-sign one. They extend one of Bader or O'Neill. That's their offseason. Scherzer, three years. Garcia, one year. And they re-sign either O'Neill or Bader, one of those two, to a five-year extension worth 10 to $15 million per year. If it's O'Neill, it's 15. If it's Bader, it's $10 million per year. How do you feel about that coming out? How do you feel about that team going into the 2022 season? I think I'm assuming new bars, your fourth outfielder, by the way, and Yepes would be your DH in this situation. And I've got Rondon on the bench, mm-hmm. and Gorman coming. I think that I would give the Cardinals if we're going to look at, okay, heading into the year, I would say they're probably the favorites in the NL central. And that's if your pitching doesn't break again, which I didn't expect that would happen last year. And I thought they were the favorites. I think you're around a 90 win team, which I think is what it'll probably take. And I think you're probably, depending on what other teams do, second or third best in the National League. I think you'll still be behind the Dodgers. I think the Giants step back. I don't think the Padres can make a move to that makes me think that they'll surpass the Cardinals because of what I saw from them this year. The Braves are the team that I'm very interested to know what they do. They're the only other team that I look at that I can say, hey, they're going to be right there with you. And I know people are going to say, what about the Brewers? I don't see them making a lot of acquisitions. I think your pitching might even be better than the Brewers at that point. Your upside's higher. Scherzer plus Flaherty plus Wayno plus Hudson plus Michaelis. Your five-man rotation, I will take over their five-man rotation. I think it's a lot closer than we think because they had three guys that were considered for kind of Cy Young this year. Two, really. Two, and then you can throw in Peralta as well. He had a very good year. And then you had Hauser that would take kind of the Hudson role, who Mm -hmm. was good. And then who's that fifth guy for them? And that's where I would probably take Michaelis over whoever they have. So to me, it's pretty close. But yeah, I, I would think that you'd become second or third favorites in the National League by making those moves. And if I were to grade that offseason, I would probably give it a B plus. And the only reason I'm not giving it an A is because I still think you need to improve the offense. But you added that really big pitcher name and went to the top tier of the market, and that's why I give it the B plus. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service tax line. Let's talk about this a little more on the other side. If you were if you heard at the end of the offseason, uh if we're looking back at it now, the Cardinals were to sign Scherzer to a three-year deal worth $100 million or it's something thereabouts. They get Luis Garcia back, but don't add anybody else to their bullpen, and they don't sign any bats this offseason, but they do extend one of their own. They extend either Bader or O'Neal, one of those two five-year deal. If it's Bader, it's $10 million per year. If it's O'Neal, it's called $15 million per year. How would you feel about that 
as a Cardinals offseason. We'll hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can get us a mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. How would you feel about that offseason? We'll give you some more on the one concern that I would have about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. report from Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. If you missed it in the last segment, he says that the Cardinals plan for their payroll to increase for 2022. And this is the first, at least that I've seen it. Tanner, you can correct me if you've seen it somewhere else. It's the first that I've seen John Mosellock confirm that to be the case. I've seen him allude to, hey, we might be willing to, or we might have the flexibility to expand the payroll next year. I have not seen anywhere else him confirm to anybody the payroll will or the plan is for the payroll to increase for 2022. Yeah, this is my first public knowledge of him knowing that or saying that it's going to confirm the payroll will go up. The reason why I find this to be so significant is because you can always follow the money. I, I like backtracking things, right? When there was the the return to play plan for uh, for baseball in 2020, uh, we were in like April and May, and the t- the two sides were haggling back and forth on when or if they would return to play for the 2020 season. And I, my my whole stance was, tell me what the deadline is. Do you want to play 100 games? Do you want to play 60 games? depending on what that deadline is for how many games you feel is necessary to get in a full season, that will tell me when, when we'll be able to get a deal done. And that ended up being the case. 60 games. You could backtrack it from there. They told us that publicly. Okay. They got the deal done exactly when all of us expected them to. Same thing is true for the CBA, right? This off season going into things, Technically, December 1st is a deadline. It's not a real deadline to the owners or the players, though, because they're not missing out on anything. What's the real deadline? Once you get into spring training and you need that two to three weeks to be able to prepare for the regular season. That's when you expect a deal to get done. I bring that all back to the Cardinals. If they're willing to increase their payroll for 2022, that means adding 30 or more million dollars to the payroll this offseason. Okay, how do they do that? Well, they have stated publicly now that Lars Newbar is expected to be the fourth outfielder from the left side this upcoming offseason. Okay, you can write that off of the list. Take a mental note, probably not going out there and getting Eddie Rosario or Jock Peterson. That's that roster spot. Okay, uh, what about Juan Yepes? He's expected to be on the roster to start opening day going into next year. All right, well, now you're kind of whittling down what the bench is going to look like. What about shortstop? Could they spend it there? Eh, Seems like they would like to, but given what the market is for those guys, feels unlikely. There was a piece earlier today on ESPN. The Cardinals were not connected with any of the available shortstops. And then in this piece, there is another uh, quote that I find to be very significant. According to Derek Gould, the Cardinals believe multiple available pitchers could help them with their gold glove defense. And they have a broader spectrum of pitchers uh, to choose from. And they view there are multiple pitching options in this market that are worthy of the investment. That's the big part there. I think the Cardinals are going big on pitching. We've known that they were going to add pitching. The question was at what level seeing these reports and just, this is all speculation by me, but seeing things pieced together, it makes me think they might be more in on Stroman and Scherzer than I initially would have expected. We've known there's mutual interest, but to what level? Tanner, if this team has an offseason of Scherzer at three years, hundred plus million dollars, Luis Garcia, bring him back for about five million dollars, 
And adding either Tyler O'Neill or, or extending rather Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader, I think I would give it an A. You added a Hall of Fame talent to your starting rotation. You still have an outstanding defense. And oh, by the way, you extended one of those two key components to that defense for the long haul to be able to add even more flexibility to next year's roster and to 2023, 2024. You've added more flexibility in your outfield by extending one of those guys. I don't know how you could look at this and be like, you know what? They needed to add a a bat. I'm not happy with this offseason. I think they might be light on the bats, but this is where it comes back to the lesson learned from 2021. Follow the blueprint of the Braves. I don't think the Braves were the perfect World Series team, but they did show you something. If you're light in one area, you can add a bunch of pieces to that area at the trade deadline. The Cardinals go into next season with Scherzer and Luis Garcia. You should be pretty damn good pitching wise. If it ends up working out that way and you're light on the hitting side of things, You can go add those pieces at the deadline. You can go get a fourth outfield bat. You can go get a DH at the deadline. Nelson Cruz was traded last year. Now that it'll require them to do that, they've got to be active, and we will be critical if they're not. But I would have to give this an A for the offseason if this is the route that they decide to go. And and look, I, I am with you there. My biggest thing is, to me, there are three needs. And that's why I give it a B plus is because you don't meet one of those needs. My needs are... A starting pitcher. Okay, you'd cover that with Max Scherzer, a bullpen arm. Well, we didn't bring that up, but you, we would assume Luis Garcia. I think we mentioned that in the scenario. So that's covered. And then to me, it's a bat. And to me, extending a player, Tyler O'Neill, that's a great thing. But if I don't get another bat to help this offense, in my opinion, there's a slight little bit of failure. And and that's not like, I'm not saying like, oh, they don't go get the bat, they're going to be second in the division. No, that is a hell of an offseason if you're going to lure in a Hall of Famer. But for me, for you to get an A, you have to meet what I believe are your needs. And to me, you don't reach a need by not acquiring a bat. That's why I give it the B+, plus, which is pretty close to an A-. minus. So in my book, that's successful. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, to give us your thoughts on that potential offseason. We, we can also hear from some of you guys via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Pat. What would you think about an offseason that would include Scherzer, Luis Garcia, and extending one of your own in the outfield? I would be completely fine with that offseason that you laid out, BK. I just want them to do something other than be the mid-tier that Moe's been the last 10-plus years, whatever it has been. So either sign Scherzer or sign one of the big-name shortstops, regardless of what the other moves are. If they do that, then it shows me that they're committed to actually winning and not just being pretty good. It feels like Cardinals fans just want sizzle this offseason. I think they want something exciting. Want a little flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. It, whether that be right, wrong, or indifferent, I think Cardinals fans are just, they want something to get them excited about what next year is going to look like for them to feel a commitment from the front office. Now, to be fair, the front office did just go out and get Nolan Arenado last offseason. They did previously go out and get Paul Goldschmidt and extend him. happy with Little Mo. For a five-year, $125 million contract with... Um, with Paul Goldschmidt, they did just give a $17 million deal to their number one starter last year. in Adam Wainwright, they brought back Yadier Molina on $10 million. I'm not telling you that you got to give them backpacks that that's not here, but I do find it interesting that a guy like Steven Matz or John Gray, this mid tier pitching market, which is by the way, what the giants are, are, are shopping in right now. It doesn't feel like that's going to get anybody excited. Even if it might end up being the right path for them to go, 
I think Cardinals fans are hoping for a little more. Let's hear from Lisa on what she would feel about an offseason that would include Max Scherzer. Hey, guys. So the Cardinals have a history of producing pitchers. They do not have a history of producing quality hitters, consistent. And the fact that they're going to, air quotes, bet on all this hitting that's never played at this level, I wonder if we're all going to be shocked when they don't produce like they thought they would. This team needs offense. If they're going to spend big money, it needs to be on the guys that are playing every day. It's a heck of a lot easier to go in the middle of the season and find pitchers that can help versus quality hitters. So, no, I'm not okay with what you mentioned. Okay, I'm really glad she brought this up because I think we got to have a conversation about this. If we're going to be critical of the Cardinals for the players that they got rid of, the players that they traded going elsewhere and having so much success, Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena, Luke Voigt, all of these guys that we look back on and we're like, man, if only the Cardinals had that guy in the lineup. If we're going to be critical of them for doing so without giving them an opportunity to succeed, we also need to allow them to have the opportunity to maybe be right on these guys, don't we? Because if they're saying, hey, Juan Yepes can really hit, and we need to find out if he's going to be able to do that at the big league level, guys, what if he's the next Luke Voigt, and he can do it here instead of in New York? If Nolan Gorman is going to be as a hitter, something resembling what you're watching right now with Randy Rosarena down in Tampa Bay, don't you want to find out at the big league level next year? If you're looking at Lars Newtbar, and he can give you for half a season what Adolis Garcia was last year for the Texas Rangers, Shouldn't we give them the opportunity to find that out? Now, if they're wrong, if they end up failing at the big league level, and Yepes is a 4A player, and Lars Newtbar is nothing more than a fourth outfielder for a, a middling team. Okay, yeah, now you got to do what Lisa is saying there, and you've got to go acquire those bats. I think that you can find pitching on the open market, but last year the prices were too high for the Cardinals to be willing Sounds to pay. Sounds like they're too high now. Sure, Absolutely. The hitters are always available, especially those power bats that profile as a DH first base corner outfield type. Those guys are always out there. It's just a matter of going out and finding the right one. And if the Cardinals need one of those guys at the deadline, yeah, they should go out there and get it. But I'm willing to allow them the opportunity to be wrong on this. See, now I'm with you because I do want to see the guys get a chance. I've been here saying I want to see Yepes as the DH and Gorman platooning with him. I think the reason that Cardinals fans come off this way is I think they're willing to give them a chance, like Lisa said, they don't have the bat, but you look at what you have at shortstop, and you look at it and you say, we don't really have a solution. You can get by with the young and Sosa. How many teams they said do they don't have, have a solution at shortstop? I, I think this is one thing that we lose but sight think, of sometimes because different. we watch the Cardinals. I think it's different, too, because you look at the open market and there's five guys. Absolutely. How often are we going to look at an open market and say, Wow, there's five elite players that someone could go sign. And sure, two of them are outpriced, but then there's still three guys there. You don't say that very often. I mean, we look at the starting pitching market. Who are you going to say is elite? I would just say Mark Max Scherzer. I would understand if you threw Marcus Stroman in there. That's about it. I mean, that I think that's part of the reason is because there's a glaring hole in terms of watching the Cardinals and you look at it. And I get what you're saying about looking across baseball. Glaring hole, shortstop. Doesn't feel like they have a solution. They basically said that, too, and they didn't protect Delvin Perez on the 40-man roster. Mm-hmm. The closest guy is Mason Wynn that we think could be a legitimate, good shortstop that provides an impact for the Cardinals over a 162-game schedule. Then I look at the free agent market, and I see five guys that are available that are five elite players. To me, I think that kind of difference is for people like Lisa, like me, looking for that impact bat. That's where I think it comes from. I think that's totally fair. I, I, what you guys are saying, it is not unreasonable. What you're asking of this team is not unreasonable, but 
then you have to make the decision, are we going the shortstop route or are we going the pitching route? And the Cardinals have been very hesitant to go the eight to 10 year path. So if we just, we follow that and we say, okay, so Seager and Correa, they're off of the table. Not going to happen here in St. Louis. So your options then are whittled down to Simeon, who's what, 31 years old now? So you're probably going to give him a five or six year deal to the back end of his 30s. That's similar to what you did, what, four years ago, five years ago now with Dexter Fowler. He's a better player than Dexter Fowler was, but that's what the back end of that deal has the potential to look like for you. Trevor Story and Javi Baez. Those are your options at shortstop. Nobody wants Javi Baez in our audience. I can go ahead and just write that one off. And it comes down to Simeon, who's probably a second baseman moving forward, and Trevor Story, who had some injury issues. And oh, by the way, there's the Coors Field stuff that some will bring up. I I just think I could see the argument in favor of Max Scherzer, especially if they truly believe those guys internally are going to be good. Because I look at it less as a position and more of as a batting order, right? You're right. They don't have an they don't have an obvious solution at shortstop for them. I think they're going to be below average at the position hitting wise next year, although pretty good defensively. I do think they've got an answer at first base, at second base, at third base, in left field, right field, and center field, though, offensively. If I'm right on those six, I think I'm going to be pretty darn good. And oh, by the way, if Yepes hits as well, now I've got seven dudes in my lineup on a day-to-day basis that I believe in as hitters. Yeah, maybe I'm not as good at shortstop as... Uh, The Dodgers are going to be as maybe the Braves, although I think you could get something similar to what Dansby Swanson was last year. He was not very good offensively for much of the season. San Diego, obviously, you're going to be behind them as well. San Francisco, we'll see, but I I think that you're going to be behind Brandon Crawford. I also think you might be ahead of them when it comes to what you're doing in the outfield and what you're doing at first and third. So you can make up for what you lack at shortstop by what you have elsewhere on the field. That's the bet that they would be placing in that capacity. And oh, by the way, they're also placing a big bet on their defense as well. So that that's what the offseason would be about. They're placing bets in certain areas and a big one that they'd be placing in. They are putting all of their chips in on these young players that they believe in. Claudia Pez, I believe it's something they didn't do the last three, five years. If they're right. It pays off in a huge way, and they probably are World Series bound, or they're at least a World Series contender next year. If they're wrong, they're going to be right back in the hitting market at the trade deadline. And it is very difficult to continue what they've done constantly over the years, where it is go acquire a big bat, go acquire a big bat, go acquire a big bat. At some point, you're going to start to run out of resources. They do a pretty good job of replenishing that, but if you can just grow that through the system— it looks a lot better than having to go spend on it on the trade market. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's play a quick game of better to forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you've got a better to forget it for us, we'll get him to it. We'll get to them next on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Alex today. It doesn't I, feel right. It I doesn't feel right it, without singing. I just don't feel comfortable doing it without him. Alex out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. We miss him coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. We'll cross things over with the fast lane, but let's play a game of bet it or forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line uh, from the 314. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will do something crazy this offseason and sign a guy that we don't see coming like Javi Baez. 
I'm going to forget that because I'm now leaning towards the Max Scherzer thing. And then I think that pulls them out of the Baez kind of market because I don't think any of those shortstops are taking a one-year deal. It doesn't sound like it. I don't think it's going to develop that way. I can't really think of anybody that I wouldn't expect them to sign. That just kind of blows me away. Because like reliever-wise, I can see Luis Garcia coming back. Joe Kelly seems to make sense. Uh, Robert Murray's brought up Corey Knable, which I think makes some sense for this team. Position player-wise, was brought up a bunch of names. I don't think there's anybody that would really stun me, so I think I'm going to forget this. So I'll make the case for what would surprise me is if they signed a Scherzer or a Stroman and also got a big bat. I think that's possible. Like you wouldn't, it would surprise me, but also we could make, you could sell it to me. It would make a lot of sense. I would be happy about it. Like if they go out and signed Scherzer to a three year, hundred million dollar deal and also got, I don't know, Schwarber on a three year, $55 million deal. That would surprise me. I wouldn't expect them to add $50 million to the payroll this off season but maybe then they would go trade DeYoung, for example, and clear a little bit of salary that way. So that would be the type, that would be the way this would surprise me and it would make some sense. I'm going to forget it. I don't think they're going to do that, but I think that's the route to how they would surprise all of us is if they signed Stroman or Scherzer and then also added a bigger bat than anticipated. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Better to forget it, Vladdy Tarasenko is going to stay with the Blues all season. He will be here until the end of the year. Oh, man. I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to forget it. I still think he's something they're going to use to trade for a top four defenseman. Now, how they're going to make that work, I'm not quite sure because they have to find a team that can take on Vladdy's salary and then also they have to stay under the cap themselves by acquiring a top four defenseman. I get it. He's been one of their best players. But I think Army's smart enough to trade him at his highest peak because you don't know what you're going to get the remainder of the year. Plus the fact of the matter that they clearly have a hole. He's their number one trade asset. I think I'm still going to I'm going to forget this. I still believe they're going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko in season here. I'm going to bet it. I do think he's going to be here the rest of the year at this point. I think the way that this doesn't happen is if they decide they still need that top four defenseman that is not currently on the roster. It's just hard for me to see the case right now that that top four defenseman is going to be more valuable to the Blues than Vladimir Tarasenko, though. His his ability to score goals is something this team really needs right now. Imagine if, as of today, you had the exact same production that you're getting currently from David Perron, which is not a whole lot of goal scoring of late, and also Vladimir Tarasenko wasn't on the team. That's a hole in goal-producing goal ability, so... I think when this team is at its best, you're going to see Perron increase his goal scoring, of course. And also you still have Vladdy Tarasenko scoring at not quite a point per game, but pretty darn close, man. He has seven goals and nine assists so far through the first 16 games. I'm going to say I, I'm I'm betting this. I think he's going to be here the rest of the year. Maybe my biggest thing is that I just think that in terms of winning in the playoffs, they're going to need goal scoring. Yes, it's important. But defensively, you have to be so much more sound. And I think that's where I come from. I get it. If you took Vladimir Tarasenko off this team now, they'd, be, they'd really be struggling. I think they can kind of get away with it. And as much as we've heard about how deep they are forward-wise, I think they can get away with it if they improve the defense. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will extend one of their young outfielders this offseason. 
before opening day of 2022, the Cardinals will extend one of their young outfielders. I'm going to... Man, it's tough. I, I'm going to bet it. I after, I think it might be Tyler O'Neill's who they extend. I, as much O'Neal as I has think, three years just for what it's worth. O'Neill has three years of club control. He's entering his first year of arbitration this offseason. Uh, Bader has two more years of club control. He's entering his second year of arbitration. And Dylan Carlson uh, still has a lot of club control. He is at five years remaining. He's not a free agent until 2026. I think I'm going to bet it. I think it's more like, I think it, w- it would be most likely to be Tyler O'Neill. I, for some reason, I get the vibe that Harrison Bader wouldn't sign an extension. Tyler O'Neill, I can kind of get that vibe, even though if I were his agent, I'd say, dude, I wouldn't sign the dotted line because you're going to get 20 to $30 million, depending on how well you progress. I would bet on himself if I were his agent, but I could see him signing a contract with the Cardinals. Dylan Carlson's a ways away from that two, three years down the road. Then I think I would talk with him, but I'll bet it. I'm betting it as well. I think it's going to be either O'Neal or Bader. If I had to place a bet on one of those two, I think I would place it on Tyler O'Neal. I think they get something done with him this offseason. I think that's accounted for in these comments from John Mosaylock. I'm guessing he's thinking of a pitcher that comes to mind immediately, Luis Garcia and one of those two outfielders being extended uh, for five, probably five years, I would guess. I think if it's Tyler O'Neal, you'll see something like a five-year deal. If it's Bader... Maybe it's five and a couple of club, something like that. Three and a couple of club options, five and a club option. I think the five to six year range, 10 to $15 million per year is what you're going to be looking for. I'd agree with that. And you probably would go less on Bader because as good as he is defensively in center field, those guys kind of start, you can see them kind of deteriorate a little quicker compared to a guy that hits home runs like Tyler O'Neill. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Last one here. Guys, bet it or forget it. The New England Patriots will be the number one seed in the AFC in the playoffs. As of today, where I think, I think they're second, right? They have the second seed and they play Tennessee this weekend. Oh, that's so if they well, win that game behind Baltimore. OK, if they win that game on Sunday, though, they would be right behind Baltimore. Who's Baltimore got this week? That's what I was about to look at. They have the Browns. The Browns, Steelers, Browns, Packers, Bengals, Rams. Damn. (laughs) That is a heck of a schedule for Baltimore. Uh, I think I'm going to forget this because I think think they'll beat Tennessee this week, but I think Baltimore's good enough to where they can survive that schedule. And I don't expect New England to play this well the remainder of the year. I think they're just on a really hot stretch. I still think they're a very good team. You think Baltimore's going to get it? Yeah, I think Baltimore will win the AFC as the number one seed. I could see New England getting second or third or fourth behind the Chiefs. I just can't see. I think Baltimore's good enough to survive that schedule. Man, I... If Lamar, Lamar should be back. I mean, he's dealing with an illness. The Patriots, those two games against the Bills are going to determine it. If they can win at least one of those, I think they get it. But if they get swept by the Bills, and they, they might. The Bills are a good football team. If they get swept by the Bills, they will not, of course, get the number one overall seed in the AFC. But if they can win one of those two, I think they get it. Because I think they win on Sunday against Tennessee, and that would put them right there behind Baltimore. I, I just have less trust of Baltimore right now. I don't know what to make of this team, and they have a much tougher schedule. 
at the Steelers is never an easy game for Baltimore. They've got the Packers still at the Bengals is not going to be easy. And the Rams down the stretch. That's a tough one, man. So I'm going to go with, yes, I'll bet this. I think New England ends up with the number one seed because I don't think they'll get swept by the Bills. I think they go three and three in this stretch because I think they'll lose one of the Bills and they will. I think they'll lose to the Colts because the Colts are playing really well. I'll take the Patriots over the Colts. And then... I could see them either losing to the Titans or on the road against Miami. And I know you're thinking, oh. whoa, losing to Miami? They lost Miami in the very first week of the year, and I get it. That was that early. was it. That was the one. They, one the time a challenge. year, they lose and to a team from Florida. New England, doesn't they, don't they historically struggle in Miami? They or is do. that just Tom? No, they, maybe all the above. But they do struggle there typically. I, uh, I don't think that's going to happen in the final week of the season if the number one seed is on the line for Bill Belichick. I just have a feeling he's finding a way to win that one. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over at the fast lane next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie crossing things over with the fast land. We've got Jamie Rivers in studio with us. Jamie, what's up, man? Not Former much. superstar blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, yeah, by the way. Please get that right. It's in my contract. I had it written in there on purpose. I know. Mm-hmm. I know, man. Uh, no, I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Doing well. Um, excited to hear you guys on the fast lane today. From what I understand, Craig Berube was unavailable today for his press conference. So the well, he only- wasn't unavailable. What happened is Chief and I were talking and I said, hey, Chief, never mind those guys. Okay, what we're going to do is we'll get you once. I know it's a pain to do multiple times a Mm -hmm. day. You come on the fast lane. Everybody would listen to the fast lane. We just take care of it. And he said, you know what, Riv? It's a great idea. So he says, cancel this. So we'll have the chief on today at 430. And it's the only time you'll be able to hear him Mm -hmm. on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. We're going to ask him about candy bars and all sorts of things. And Braden Shen, I would imagine. Who? That sounds about right. (laughs) Jamie, what else is coming up today in the fast lane, buddy? Well, we are certainly going to talk about the St. Louis Blues and, you know, their resiliency yesterday because not easy. Get down too early to a team like the Vegas Golden Knights. Not easy to to keep your head in the game at that point and never mind come back and win, but just to stay involved in the game. So a huge win for them. We're going to talk about the Blues. We're going to talk about, uh, well, we got Craig Berube coming on. We got Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. He'll be on as well, and we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We will be back, including Alex Ferrario, tomorrow at 11 for the last show of the week, last live one at least of the week here on 101 ESPN.